0: Welcome, everybody, back to the podcast of Champions, the first real postseason edition. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network.
1: And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on the 247 Sports Network. And we are the podcast of Champions. As David said, we're moving into the postseason. We're going to actually have a game preview, a bowl preview Coming up in this episode, but since we talked so much about Herm Edwards last week in Arizona State, we wanted to bring in our buddy, our pal, Chris Cartman, publisher of Sun Devil Source. We're going to talk to him in a few minutes about the the out-of-the-box hire of Herm Edwards at Arizona State. If you have any questions for us, uh, we do love to hear from you. Pac12podcast at gmail.com is our email. You can tweet us at Pac12podcast, our website where you can find all our old episodes, pac12podcast.com. And if you want to call and leave a voicemail, 641-715-3900, extension seven three four nine seven two. And be in the off season. If you leave a voicemail, it is guaranteed that we're going to play it. And we'll, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about.
0: I mean, and, and we may or may not listen to it beforehand. Right. So keep that in mind. Um, you know, if it's something cuz like this isn't a live show so just keep that in mind like don't say anything vulgar cuz then we'll have to re-record and it's going to be, you know, frustrating for all of us so just, you know, do us a solid. Yeah, you know, record something nice.
1: Yeah. If you want to compliment us that's cool. If you want to make fun of us, that's fine too. That's all great. We love that. Yeah. We're we're very self-deprecating. We uh we know we have flaws, but we're here anyway. <laughs> we put ourselves out there every week.
0: Is someone vacuuming there?
1: There so my little office here, they're they're doing some maintenance apparently outside of my uh outside my suite. So I have it noise proofed as much as possible, but of course they're coming around right around now, so I apologize for that.
0: No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It adds a little flavor to the show. You know. Normally it's just that crystal clear audio. But yes you
1: now. We're normally in a Kind of in a coffin. Yeah, they were like kind of cleaning and then they went by and like, oh crap, what is what is going on here?
0: Oh, so good. So um, good. I'm excited to talk to Chris. That's going to
1: be fun. It will be fun. Um, you know, Chris is not going to pull any punches uh, about everything that's going on. Um, maybe we can talk about a few things first before we bring him on because I know it's going to be a few minutes. Um, I don't know how much we got to talk about Oregon last week. Was Mario Cristobal was he hired last week when we talked, or he had not been hired? No.
0: No. Okay, no, so there's some news. So that's, I mean, Willie Willie Taggart, I don't think, had been officially hired at Florida State by that point either. Really?
1: Okay, so this is breaking news. Willie Taggart, he gone. And uh, Mario Cristobal, he's uh, the head coach.
0: Yeah. Um, My initial reaction is certainly not as uh you know virulent as my reaction to the Herm Edwards hire, but I don't think this is a good hire. Um, I think it's pretty short-sighted. Whenever coaches get hired at big-time programs um, seemingly strictly because of recruiting to maintain a class or because the players like him. Um, I I don't know what the track record on that is, but I can't imagine it's very good. Um, So I'm intrigued to see how this works out. Um, Hopefully Cristobal is the guy who changes it. I know he's gotten some um, positive reviews from guys like Bruce Feldman, who (laughs) <laughs> should be noted he it, it was a Miami classmate of Feldman's, <laughs> um, uh, but uh Cristobal didn't have a, an illustrious run at Ford International obviously there's some com- complications with that job um but i i just i i don't think that Oregon needed to stoop to coordinator level um to you know they didn't need to retain a guy from a one season staff i think they could have uh could have searched a little bit longer and it would've been fine
1: yeah, it was uh, it was a little strange to me. I actually had lunch with Bruce the other day and kind of asked him about it. And uh, you know, obviously they have a, a kind of a relationship there. He was one of the ones that was more positive of the national writers um, out there. And I'd asked them like, you know, his turnaround. He said his turnaround at FAU. He gives them a lot of credit for that because it was it was almost like below just starting at nothing because they had all these other uh, scholarship restrictions and stuff as well. Um, you Know, turned it around and didn't get along with the athletic director, so he felt that was the kind of undoing that was going on there. But they he felt that he should get a lot of credit for what he did at FIU. And, um, I agree with you there. I listened to uh our, our buddies at the Solid Verbal, they had an emergency podcast. I love emergency podcasts, uh, especially if I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> <Right>. yeah, <laughs> me doing one at like three in the morning in, a, in an airport, like that's not always that fun, but. Um, yeah, listen to that one about, you know, because obviously Dan Rubenstein is a, uh, an Oregon grad. So he was talking about it and they, at the time they recorded it, he wasn't hired, but that was kind of the general thinking. And I don't think he had a big issue, uh, with it. And we'll see, Now we, we still don't know if Jim Levitt is staying or going. Is he, is he, is he going with Willie Taggart? Do we not know yet?
0: I don't think it's certain at this point, but it sounds more than likely that he's going to go. At least that's the rumor mill, um, because he didn't really get consideration for the head coach job at Oregon. I think he's still wanting to be a head coach at some point again. Yeah.
1: So we'll see. Um, It might work out well, but the whole early signing day, because we didn't know, we don't know what it's going to do. How, how much did that affect the entire coaching carousel? And it was a crazy coaching carousel. I don't think it, it helped the coaching carousel. If anything, it made it a little bit more chaotic. Maybe you get some guys hired that wouldn't have been hired. Recruiting becomes more of a factor, and with Oregon having such a good recruiting class, that's really something they didn't want to uh, get rid of. But when you look back, Willie Taggart was 361 days, I think, he was in Eugene, so not even a full year. Um, Certainly some instability going on at the Oregon Ducks program. They'd like to keep as much, you know, uh, I guess some of that positive momentum, uh, they'd like to keep as much of that as possible. And I guess they felt Cristobal was the, the best way to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I get the rationale. I just, it, with history as our guide, I mean, how many of those kinds of hires do you see that have worked out? I mean, I'm, yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard to see it. I, I don't like it when um, coaches try to keep, when ADs try to force the new coach to keep coordinators to save a recruiting class. I don't like it when. Um, coordinators are promoted to save a recruiting class I just think it's short-sighted I think if you get the right coach in there they'll figure it out recruiting wise and maybe you don't end up with as good a class that year as you will you know the next following years but I I don't know it just seems like it, it doesn't seem like a power move from Oregon it seems like it's something you know whenever you make these kind of decisions out of more out of fear than out of like making an aggressive move I just don't I don't I, I don't have any numbers in front of me, obviously, and I'm kind of, you know, just talking generally, but I just don't know how often that works out particularly well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um two four seven did a uh a piece, I think it was Steve Whitfong, about the coaching carousel and the, the top five, um or I mean not the top five, like the top kind of recruiting um new head coaches, like who would be uh you know who would be good, and so for their the ones that are near guarantees as far as good recruiters went, uh, they put Chip Kelly in there. We got our uh, vacuum back. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, future stars. They put um, uh, Mario Cristobal. Uh, so even you know Willie Taggart's in one of the you know Willie Taggart was in the um, you know near guarantees as far as his him being able to cr- recruit at Florida State but they had Mario at, at like a future star um, status quo uh, nobody from the Pac-12 and then uh, the, uh, the right guy for their new job let's see they have they didn't have anyone from the Pac-12 and then a couple with question marks uh, two Pac-12 teams made that list so uh, Oregon State uh, and Arizona State with Herm Edwards so uh, you yeah, know Jonathan Smith at uh, Oregon State, and then Edwards. We're going to talk about Edwards here in a few minutes. But um, they said about him, he certainly would be great in the living room. We assume he'll be great on campus visits too. Uh, but we, but that we don't know much. Edwards takes over at a place where Arizona State struggled to win recruiting battles against the upper echelon Pac-12 schools. So you have to win by evaluating. We have no clue if Edwards can evaluate. He spent the last nine years on a television set. He hasn't coached college football since 1989 at San Jose State, perhaps labeling this as a question mark is saying it politely. So uh, they weren't very high on Herb Edwards either. And we'll, that's what we we'll have to get uh, Chris Cartman's take on it.
0: Yeah. And so that's an interesting point. And I'm going to bring it back to Oregon for a second because Oregon hired a guy to re- basically, and I'm sure there were other rationale. I'm sure he killed the interview. I'm sure Chris is a nice guy, the whole thing, whatever. They hired him mostly to retain this recruiting class and give him continuity. And, For me, that doesn't make sense at Oregon. It makes more sense at a place like ASU or a place like Oregon State if they had been recruiting at, like, the level Oregon was this year because at those schools, nailing down a top 15 class at some point is huge. I mean, that's, like, program changing. For Oregon, Oregon's not going to recruit at a consistent top 15 level, but they are going to recruit at a consistent top 25 level. So doing this to retain a coach and, you know, not to go back to just, you know, Beating on Oregon for hiring Cristobal, which I don't even think is like the, th- it's like the third worst hire in the Pac-12 this cycle, which is not bad. Um, but it just it, it doesn't seem like a move that Oregon needs to make. It's more of an Oregon State thing, or a Washington State thing, or an Arizona State thing, or an Arizona thing. I think Oregon's a little bit higher of a tier of program. It just doesn't seem like the right move for them.
1: All right. Well, let's bring in uh, our guest today. We haven't had a guest in a while, Dave. Um... So Chris Cartman does a great job. He's the publisher of Sun Devil Source uh, here on the 247 uh, Sports Network. Follow on Twitter at Sun Devil Source. Chris, thanks so much for coming in. I know you're in the airport. I guess there was some basketball game or something going on. I guess it was a big deal. What's going on, bud?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, you guys really set the bar pretty low for your first guest in a while. So (laughs) I, 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 I don't know, like how this is gonna be perceived but i will definitely do my best and yeah it's it's pretty cold and windy here but i don't think asu fans mind at all they'll probably you know hang out in the breeze uh for a while just basking in the glory of that win over number two kansas or formerly number two kansas i guess i i i should say i I was sitting uh courtside baseline for this game and uh I still don't really believe exactly what I saw, and Kansas is <laughs> not nearly the Kansas is not nearly the team that it's been historically under Bill Self or you know before that, obviously. But he called them a very soft team and just kind of trashed his own team. But uh, but guys, this is ASU basketball. I mean, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. They're they're um, in the top five of the AP. Uh, top twenty-five since the 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 photos were in black and white in the media guide. You know, like ni- nineteen eighty-one. I don't know why they were in black and white in nineteen eighty-one, but they were. Uh, maybe that was budget constraints <laughs> or something. But but en- anyways, so uh, I'm getting ready to hop a plane. You guys can hear the overhead stuff. Uh, I'll be back in Tempe and and covering a top ten basketball program. Surreal, bizarre, whatever.
0: How, so how does it feel that? You know, knowing that ASU is now a, a basketball school, like, how, how, is, are you just basking in it? I mean, is this just <laughs> is this just incredible?
2: I mean, is it? You know, it's like I don't even know what what I don't even know like which direction is north right now. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's 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 bizarre. I thought this was going to be like a, a bubble team this year. You know, they yeah. have really good they have good guard play, and last year they were one of the best teams in the country. At, uh, at not having turnovers. And, you know, they, they can score it and they're fearless, but, you know, they take bad shots. And, and uh, defensively, they're pretty average, but they've scored 90 points in seven out of their nine games. Like, they're just like racing past teams. They had 105 against Xavier, which is like, you know, a top 10 borderline type of a team and hasn't lost other than that. And Kansas hadn't lost back to back games. Um, when playing the second game at, at Allen Fieldhouse since 2005, uh, a 37-game streak. So this this is very rare air. It's it's almost like you have to uh, sort of get a hold of yourself to figure out what's going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we don't talk a lot of basketball here on the podcast of Champions, but you know since we had you on. And they just had this crazy win, you know, and, they, and,
0: and ASU. ASU is a strong basketball power. We we thought we'd we'd talk about it.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it's a big win. And oh I, yeah, I, all the all the sellouts, you know,
2: it's like crazy at Wells Fargo Arena, man.
1: And there was a funny story with the sports information director there, who I guess he promised his daughter yeah, like a five hundred dollar shopping spree if uh, if they won. Yeah. Yeah, you can't
2: walk that back when your daughter's got the video. You know, that's the that's the problem in 2017. Like, you used to be able to say, "Well, I put a qualifier in there. There was a modification of my statement." And now it's like, "Oh yeah, I did say that and you have that. So here's $500. Go have fun. Knock yourself out." <laughs> I mean, and, and 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 then and then today's wearing a guard you shirt like like you know, I, I say we gotta have to check your ball skills before you can put on that guard you shirt. What? Is, how is ASU guard you? Like this thing is so crazy to me. I, my mind is blown.
0: Um. All right. Well, we've talked a lot of basketball, and that that really hits our quota here on the podcast. Yeah. Champion. Okay.
1: For the year. Uh, Good.
0: We. So, uh, I, I'm still without words on this, but <laughs> I I I know we have to talk about it, even though as a lot of ASU fans probably don't at this point, but.
2: Right. Where are you going with this, Dave?
0: Walk me through your initial reaction to to hearing that Herm Edwards was not only being seriously considered for the job, but was like the leading and possibly
2: only candidate. So, so look. Um, very early on, I was told that Ray Anderson was consulting with uh, people from his past that have a lot of NFL experience. And I'm talking about Tony Dungy and Herm Edwards and some front office people uh, with the Cardinals and other NFL programs, and and um, and then within about a few days, like two days, it was like, oh, actually, Herm Edwards is a candidate, and then and then within a day of that being reported, uh, we were first to report that Herm Edwards was going to be ASU's next head coach pending the approval of the university president, Michael Crow, and the Board of Regents and all of that cross your teeth and dot your eyes kind of thing, uh, I I was pretty surprised. I mean, obviously, the guy hasn't coached in nine years. He's never been a college head coach. He's 63 years old. Um, Now, Ray Anderson does have this sort of different way of looking at things, and so does Michael Crow. They're like... uh, I almost expect them to turn up in like an episode of Silicon Valley or something. Um, they're just like di- different kind of, uh, kinds of guys. And Ray Anderson does have this tendency to want to surround himself with people that have, that have been uh, in his past, in his career. And he, he's done so in um, the senior associate athletic director level. And now Herm Edwards, the guy that he used to represent, uh, when he was an NFL head coach is, is he's the head coach at ASU guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like that, that actually happened. Um, so yeah, it's, it's different. And then they came out with this press release that had the, uh, like, you know, new leadership model. And it, it, it read like, uh, some, you know, corporate thing as opposed yeah. to the typical SID release, which was kind of weird. And then they kept their entire offensive staff in place. And then we reported today that they have an offer out to Phil Bennett, who was hired by Todd Graham to to take over the defense last year. So we we may even see, like, almost all the defense stay if Phil Bennett accepts this this thing, which is a whole nother layer of, like, almost unprecedented kind of stuff. Because who in college football – you know, gets a job to be a new head coach at a Power 5 school and then keeps the whole staff in place. That doesn't happen.
1: Well, that, That's kind of the point, like with Ray Anderson's press conference that was, that was obviously, almost everything we we're going to talk about is weird, so there's different levels of weird. Ray Anderson's <laughs> press conference where he talked about keeping the same coordinators, like getting a big name coach or something, but keeping the same coordinators, I'm paraphrasing what he was saying, everyone was like, how the heck would you do that? Why would you hire someone big but then have them keep all the same coaches you already had but in that case to me that made it sound like he knew what he wanted and that's what kind of bugs me about coaching searches is people get in this power and they hire a friend of theirs like you know what i'm just gonna hire this guy so do you feel like he just had herm edwards that's who he wanted to get from the beginning so that's why he could say the coordinators are going to stay the same because i know we're going to bring in somebody who doesn't have a lot of a big rolodex as far as college coaches go anyway
2: well, they, they did sort of background Chip Kelly, um, and there was conversation about that internally, and Kevin Sumlin at a lesser level. You know, that we, we reported that, but I think that he did want to hire Herm Edwards, and that was kind of the direction that it was going for a long time. Uh, the UCLA loss um, in Pasadena that ASU had was like the final – Draw. And I had, I had heard even earlier that ASU needed to win eight wins this season, like get eight wins to, in order for, for Graham to keep his job, which is like a lot.
1: Yeah, And then, and then yeah.
2: And right, after the last two seasons. And then, and then Anderson comes out and calls seven wins. In a, he called the Pac-12 weak and riddled, and he, and he said seven wins isn't that good. I mean, keep in mind, guys, ASU was 6-3 and three in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Todd Graham like, could have Todd been coach Graham of the was, year.
1: Like, he probably should, yeah, have, been. He should, a have, should have, have been. He was a legitimate candidate.
2: I mean, he's not, he's not well-liked by the other coaches. So that's why he was never going to win that. But, 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 you know, you can make a great case that he should have been. Uh, and another and thing is, like, you like the job that he did to bring in these new coordinators. But yet you don't like him or his the <laughs> overall job in some way, which is kind of weird. But but yeah, when he said at the press conference, "Oh, I'd like to keep Billy Napier and I'd like to keep Phil Bennett," everyone in the room was like, "Really?" And then like, and then and then it was like, "Okay, well then it, it just makes sense that you're going to hire somebody that hasn't coached in quite a while and has never been a college head coach because <laughs> that person doesn't have the the connections and resources to, to staff up." Uh, The thing, anyways. So, so yeah, that's where we're at. Did uh, was
0: there? I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Was there friction or some sort of like personal animosity between Anderson and and Graham? Was there like something that made it basically untenable for Graham after a certain point, or was this just? I mean, the most bizarre performance evaluation anyone's ever seen.
2: Well, um, certainly, they aren't. Uh, very similar, in personality type wise. My understanding is that they really haven't had many conversations at all, of any substance in the, in the last year. Uh, they, they they met and they spoke after the 2016 season about kind of the direction of the program and how they were headed in the, in the wrong way, and they had a really bad defense, and they needed to you know uh, take some steps to address that, and, and that's sort of what precipitated Grant bringing in Phil Bennett. But even after they did that and they started to make these strides, the relationship between Graham and Anderson didn't improve. They weren't really talking that much. I think if you look at it, uh, Graham, Graham was very responsible for a lot of the fundraising and other things that, that uh, allowed the stadium project to, to take off, brought in some boosters that hadn't really been uh, you know, big supporters of the program in the past, and, uh, it, it's just, that's the other thing to it is like, he is in, in this new building that they built. That's probably about as nice as any building in the PAC 12 outside of Oregon talking about how he got fired. And is like the showing such class about it. And then right. Meanwhile, Ray Anderson sort of taken some, some snipes. He just had another snipe recently. Uh, I think it was on the Arizona Republic website where he was said that, um, it's not that it can't be done. More success at ASU, but people haven't tried hard enough in the past. And oh I'm like, gosh, well, yeah. that doesn't make that doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, I'm sure people have tried really hard. Maybe they didn't try as smartly or as creatively as you would have liked, or whatever. But um, but yeah, I don't know. And then there's, there's here's the thing, guys. I'm trying to sum this up the best way possible. <laughs> so in forty in, in forty years, ASU has been to two Rose Bowl, Okay. Um, it, it, the program hasn't been great in any extended period of time under any coach in the 40 in the year period I think Ray Anderson thought like let's try something that was outside of the box uh, Herm Edwards probably will relate well to uh, you know in, 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 in certain recruiting circles he's black, he's an older guy he's got a lot of esteem he's polished, he's been on TV for 9 years you can tell recruits, hey, I was a head coach in the NFL for eight years. I know what it takes to get there. And then I think what they're going to try to do behind the scenes is improve their, their player personnel, who do we recruit and why and how, then then the process for recruiting those players, and then some of the other support areas like uh, you know uh, director of creative and, and uh, video and, and, and uh, digital out, art outreach and, and some of those things. That's what they're talking about with the new leadership model. Of course, it's not, even if they do a great job, it's not going to be better than some of the best programs around the country. So that's why you have to kind of sell it this way. But, but you know, it is it is what it is.
1: The uh, So weird stuff happens, and we, we talked about it. We kind of just went off on it last week on our show. And, uh, you know, you know it's bizarre. I get a, this random email from... Uh, Michael samtur he's the executive producer of the Tiki and Tyranny show on CBS Sports Radio. Like, don't know who the guy is. Just get an email about him, I guess, because I was talking about him on Twitter. And, like, there are bullet points about um, Herm Edwards. And one of them is, did he actually know Arizona State's nickname was the Sun Devils? Because during a press conference... I think it was Devil's Digest or something. They'd they'd asked a question. He's like, Devils, Devils. And so he had answered it. He said, Are you kidding me? I got recruited from Arizona State. Frank Cush recruited me in the 1970s. Look, I knew Arizona State before half those people, whatever they were tweeting, they weren't even born when I was getting recruited by Arizona State. So he was saying he knew the Sun Devil thing. But there was other stuff too, talking about like being away from 30 years in college. But just like to get this random email from a, a, you know, because we're talking about this so much, it's just been kind of weird.
2: Yeah, that thing went viral. Um, Sports Illustrated tweeted about it and some other outlets. I think Deadspin did, and then it just kind of took off. Uh, Herm Edwards is from California. He played at Cal. Okay, so I don't think you play at Cal and you don't know that Arizona State's <laughs> the Sun Devils, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense objectively. I, I think he just tried to make a joke. You know, sometimes you're trying kind of hard to get a laugh in that type of a setting. And I think that's, that's primarily what that was. You know, I mean, he shouldn't have done it because it sort of perpetuates something. And, and Sun Devil doesn't really have anything to do with the devil anyway, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, for people that aren't aware of that, it, it actually has to do with the atmospheric condition that causes a thing. Where there's like a dust devil kind of a thing, but without the dust. A- anyway, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, but but he shouldn't he he shouldn't have been doing that though.
0: Yeah. Well, and he also in the video they posted, he didn't know whether he was supposed to wear the little pin forks up or forks down. Uh, yeah. Like just you know that little stuff. And the that jersey, like
2: He didn't yeah. know like oh the man. jersey was like kind of like like small because they're. Their are form fitting and they, they right. stretch and so he thought it was like oh girls jersey. Well, well, no, hating, hating yeah. on
0: tech fit is a time honored tradition for me, so I'm <laughs> I'm I'm fine with that. That was fine by me, but um, yeah. I, 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 so so you I, I mean the, the, it seems like the general consensus is that head, Herm Edwards is going to be you know kind of that that head man figurehead type deal. But do you see him having any role or influence in the actual schemes on the field, or do you think that just it's going to be mostly on the coordinators.
2: Uh, probably not that much. You know, he he's never been a coordinator himself in college or in the NFL. Uh, he went from defensive back coach to assistant head coach to head coach in the NFL. Uh, hasn't been a college coach since '89, I believe. Um, so you know, he, he'll have some input, I'm sure, defensively. And I think he's more going to be. Um, on the job to recruit and sort of oversee their 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 personnel structure uh, from a coaching and sports staffing standpoint, and then their players and coaching coaches and, and that sort of thing. There's a lot of jobs. There's a lot of hats that head coaches wear. I don't think he's going to be like, you know, some guy that they just roll around like weekend at Bernie's or anything, you know, <laughs> but I, I – <laughs> I think he's, I think he's, I think he's, you know, he's going to be busy and he's going to be occupied, but I don't think he's going to be involved as much at a, at a granular level from uh, scheming for opponents, play calling and those types of things.
1: The, um, so something like this, like both Dave and I are pretty snarky people just in, in general. And if you, you know, this was like a, a softball tossed to us. or so like they hired Herm Edwards. Like the eight, like, an agent, like, hired his former – like, all the crazy stuff. We just went off on it last week. Yeah. But and, – and, you know, a lot of people do. But if we're talking next – and it's going to be hard to improve next year, I would think. Um, You know, six and three of the conference is nothing to sneeze at. Finished in second. They were picked to finish fifth in the conference in the south, and they finished second. But if they're able to to repeat that or, if, or win eight games, like was, you know, apparently the Mendoza line for Todd Graham this year – why would this? Why is this going to work? Like, what is going to? What's going to go? Like, wow, they were really successful. Here's why this worked. Why would you think it would be that this would work?
2: Um, I think actually next year they they could maybe be better because they have, I think, senior quarterbacks in the Pac-12. It's a big deal when when people have a lot of experience. Manny Wilkins will be a senior, and they have nine starters back on offense next year they'll lose their running backs, but they actually have the best freshman running back, maybe in the PAC 12, the best on PFF with, Nino Benjamin and, and um, they lose their center, you know, who was a, he was a solid player, but not great. They basically have five offensive linemen back. They have Nikhil Harry who'll be the best, if if not, you know, uh, if not the best, one of the best receivers in the league and and three other, four other really good receivers. I think they'll score a lot of points and be better on offense. They'll, Depending on what happens with some of their defensive players, a couple might declare JoJo Wicker and Christian Sam are at least thinking about it. You know, they probably shouldn't do it for their own prospects, but they should have five guys back, six guys back on defense. If Phil Bennett stays, they'll have some continuity. So it's, it's, it's not out of the question. They could win eight games next year. Long term, I think it's going to be harder. They're going to have to really, really improve their recruiting operation on the back end. Uh, who they're recruiting and how and why and they have the ability to, to to get those players to come to, to ASU and especially in Southern California where you guys know it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And now you have UCLA is going to really ramp up under Chip Kelly in that area. I would imagine. And USC got it rolling pretty good. When ASU has been at its best, it, it was loaded with California prospects and we did a, a, a um, like a 10 year sort of research on all the teams that win nine plus games and uh, around the country and all of them, except for two get at least two thirds of their talent from within 600 miles. And those two are Oregon and Nebraska. So ASU has to do a lot better recruiting in Southern California. That's going to be the whole key to whether or not they're able to actually move into a different tier. And, and and it's going to be really hard Uh, just, just very, very clearly needs to be stated that what Ray Anderson has put forth as his aspirations or what he thinks should be the case at ASU, which is basically a top 15 program regularly, a top three team in the Pac-12 regularly, that's very unlikely to happen and, um, and, and not really related to coaches or anything. I, I looked at all the coaches around the country at the Power 5 level who make less than $3 million, there's 21 of them. None of those programs are, are averaging more than seven and a half wins at the, as long as those head coaches have been in place. Herm Edwards is going to make $2 million. So the odds that ASU uh, is the outlier of that and somehow averages more than seven and a half wins is just unlikely. Yeah, Sorry, about, ASU fans.
0: You no, know, completely. And, uh, but like, that's unlikely for almost any program. I mean, it, it, the the thing he said about um, ASU should be a consistent top fifteen program. There are like yeah. two teams in the country that are consistent top fifteen programs. That's Alabama, yeah. Ohio State, and maybe Georgia, maybe. Um, yeah. But USC isn't consistently top fifteen. That means you know year in and year out getting top fifteen, and they're the closest thing in the Pac twelve. Um, for him to I, say that, yeah. And yeah, it's it's you know bloviating hyperbole and everything, but. An athletic director shouldn't be saying stuff like that. You're setting yourself up for just massive, massive failure and disappointment in your fan base.
2: Well, especially because a year earlier, Ray Anderson came out in the public, uh, he went on the radio, and he said that we want less of this you know, rhetoric-style talking from Todd Graham. So we actually tried to tamp down Todd Graham with – uh, this Superlative sort of speech. And then he himself ratcheted it up like even more than Todd Graham ever did. And yeah. later upon firing him. And David, you're exactly right. Look, I, you look at seven years since the Pac 10 expand, ex- expanded to 12 teams, and nobody's been a top 15 team more than four times in those seven years. Uh, yeah. uh, Oregon and Stanford have been the best, but since to say that you think that's going to happen at ASU is, is that's disconnected from reality. Um, it, you need you, phenomenal proximity to talent, huge operational budget, coaching salaries, facilities, and access to talent all coming together for you to be able to have that happen. And ASU doesn't have that. And it, it has no, no relation to who its head coach is ultimately.
1: The, um, I want to talk you about the recruiting aspect because I think an important part of any hire is making a program relevant. And I thought Chip Kelly certainly did that. I thought he would have been a great fit at Arizona State. He, that's where I p- projected he was going to go after the season. But I think Herm Edwards does it, – it gives you – makes things interesting. I think there's a relevancy factor there. But um, the people I've talked to, I've had some arguments on Twitter that are saying, like, he's going to kill it in recruiting – uh, I think when you do go into a living room, I think he's going to relate to the parents very, very well, and that's a, certainly an important aspect of recruiting, but I think a lot of 16-, 17-year-old kids, they're not watching like NFL Live or whatever. Like I, I would think a lot of them have no idea who Herm Edwards is right now.
2: Yeah, I asked all of ASU's commitments and some other top recruits that ASU's been on what they know about Herm Edwards, and it's been about a third, of, a third of them actually know quite a bit. A third of them just kind of generally know who he is, and then a third of them really have no idea who he is. Um, you know, I think, I think he's a very polished and energetic speaker. Um, you know, he's a, a, uh, a person that's relatable to families of recruits and, and recruits in some respects that I think will have some. Cache factor. I don't know how much, and I don't know if it's going to be enough in most instances to overcome the typical things that lure kids to certain places like a USC or um, other nationally prominent programs that ASU is going to be competing with for that talent. And I think that remains to be seen. Um, you know, the, the, whomever ASU had had hired probably would have been challenged in those respects, unless it was like a Kevin Sumlin or maybe a Chip Kelly who have already kind of demonstrated not just the, the personality type, but also the infrastructure to be able to do those kinds of things. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how that kind of works out. He's only had one in-home visit and it was a, a running back commit already. Uh, he's had a bunch of phone calls with recruits in the last week, and those were pretty well-received. Uh, I'm interested to see if his style, where he just has so much energy and is is, is so forward, uh, if that works or if that wears on kids or kind of what, how that kind of unfolds. I think it's difficult to project.
0: Yeah, yeah, a very, very, very difficult to project. I mean uh... – how uh, not to belabor this any longer but like how, how cynical do you think this decision was to fire Todd Graham at this point going back to what you said about how next year is going to look where you know that and I looked at the same thing where they're returning nine starters on offense they've got a senior quarterback there's there's a lot of factors there that dictate that in those kinds of seasons ASU is usually very competitive and potentially wins the south so it, do you think Ray Anderson saw the same thing, knew he didn't want to be you know, tied to Todd Graham for the long-term future and just decided you know, basically no matter what uh, result this year, even if it is it, it, beyond something very unrealistic like nine wins, he was probably going to fire him?
2: Yeah, I think he was going to fire him almost for sure. Going back to ASU getting blown out by Arizona in the Territorial Cup in 2016, and the writing right. was almost on the wall. Um I think it. I think it was a personal lack of confidence. Right. I think Ray Anderson just didn't feel like Todd Graham is the guy that I want to roll with in this multi-million-dollar enterprise moving forward. I don't I, like, I think it's like a. It's like a one-man board of a company making a decision about its CEO. Right. And 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 the vote was basically a non-confidence vote. And we're going to try something different. And the difference is the different, the different thing we're going to try is, is my guy that I have this longstanding relationship and knowledge base about. And I think that he's going to have the X factor, you know, whatever that is energy and, 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 and sense and feel for what to do with the program to, uh, have it reach heights that it hasn't before.
0: I, I I never thought I would be sitting here caping up for uh, Todd Graham, but here we are. It's a brave new world. Uh, it's, this is just all so bizarre to me. So bizarre.
2: You know, the, one of the things that we looked at, it, what, what programs like ASU have been able to have pretty good, sustained success over a really long time? Uh, and it, it, it's oddly enough, it was Virginia Tech with Frank Beamer mm-hmm. uh, who, had a, who had a worse. Six-year record in its first six years than Todd Graham, uh, and which I found to be you know kind of interesting, and it was Iowa, uh, you know, which in, in its first six years wasn't that wasn't that successful under friends. So um, there, there's something to be said to me about learning as you go on the job and fine tuning, fine tuning, fine tuning with. Uh, a better sense of what your market specific challenges are at a place like ASU where it's harder to uh, kind of break through in certain areas. And those were kind of my, my reasons for thinking that Todd Graham replacing him might probably wasn't the best situation at that, the best decision at that point in time. I, I thought that he had made some pretty good decisions and they had improved some of their areas that were their biggest flaws And we're maybe going to actually be able to keep building off of bottoming it out in that 2015-16 period. Um, You know, but that's not going to happen now. And so so we're going to find out if Ray Anderson has this, you know, I've been calling it not an outside-the-box decision. This is outside the room that the box is in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be – oh, go ahead. Sorry.
2: No, so – so we're going to find out if Ray Anderson has some sort of x-ray vision that allows him to see from one room into the other, into that box, to determine this was what ASU should be doing. I'm a little bit skeptical overall, but, um, but then again, guys, uh, he hired Bobby Hurley in ASU basketball is as number five in the country right now. So maybe this guy just has <laughs> some sort of sixth sense for this thing that is, like, different. And, and it could work out. It is absolutely possible, I guess.
1: Yeah. So it's funny. We're kind of at that stage where you're on Twitter, you're looking at your tweet deck, and someone that you know tweets, ooh, car chase on Channel 9. And so you have to, like, oh, and it involves, like, a nun and a tank and, so like, something crazy. Like, I got to watch this. I got to turn it on. So we're all <laughs> going to be watching this because it could be, wow, look at Hermed Words go, or the most epic failure, like, of all time. It's, it's got to be one of the two, I would guess. It's a case study. This is, like, this is like
2: some uncharted thing that you're going to be like through the looking glass, you know, trying to see what's going to happen with ASU. I think the whole, the whole country is going to be wrapped yeah. up with attention, you know? And, and co- like, college football analysts, they universally panned this decision. Yes. Like everyone was like, this yeah. is bad. This is a, this is a mistake. <laughs> and then you had people that really don't follow college football all that closely who are like, I love this hire. And people on ESPN who know Hermetwoods, this is a great hire. Well, I, we're also going to find out if the establishment knows what it's talking about <laughs> or if the establishment actually like, really doesn't know what it's talking about and these people that don't even follow it closely and just understand like human dynamics are going to end up being right. And I'm like, fascinated by that too. So you know, maybe we'll circle back in a couple years and, and re-examine our conversation here yeah all right i got one last thing okay. and
0: then, uh and well, then i'm done yeah, but we'll uh, what's what's the fan base reaction to all of this i mean i i've been i've been on your board a little bit um just because mm-hmm. i'm always interested in gauging this sort of thing and it it seems a little bit more mixed than i would have thought and i'm also wondering coupled with that what's the kind of booster the big money guys like what's their take on this hire at this point as far as you know
2: so the the booster the, the the upper crust booster group, which is really about six to eight or nine guys, uh, they're rolling with Ray Anderson on this. I think a lot of them were on the fence. A few of them were were pretty supportive. Most of them actually really liked Todd Graham as a person. You know, Todd Graham did was great at booster outreach and, and relationship building, and seemed to really love being at ASU and put a lot of his emotional energy into that and, and uh, the new football facility and the stadium renovation and all that. So, um, but you know, almost nobody was like really against him and wanted him fired. But then also there wasn't like the thing that happened six years ago when AC was going to hire Jude Jones, where those upper echelon boosters just completely revolted along with the rest of the fan base. Like that didn't happen here. And as far as the overall fan base, we put up a poll They had, like, I don't know, 2,300 votes or something like that. And a plurality of people were against this hire. It was, like, 45% against, 35% in favor, and then the rest were kind of uncertain. Uh, Now, that's kind of moved in the direction of in favor. But that's that's primarily because people they become resigned to their reality, right? <laughs> like, what, once Herb Edwards is your coach, what are you going to do about that? You're not going to like turn in your fan card or anything, right? Right. So, so I think I think now it's uh, now you have people who legitimately are trying to talk themselves into how this could work and why they're going to support it and 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 get on board the train. You know, this is the Herb Edwards train, guys. Get on board,
1: or you're not going to have a good seat. Nice. Well, if you want to, if you like ASU at all, any, you need to be following Chris Cartman. He does an amazing job at Sun Devil Swords. Not you know, just the daily reporting. They cover everything. They're everywhere. But some of the analysis, the analytics, he's able to pull through, and the, he he does stuff that I've never even heard of people doing before. So he breaks things down in a way like nobody else. No one else does. Chris does a great job, and we do appreciate you, Chris, coming on and. uh sharing your insights we you know we had a field day with it last week but it was good to get some you know an insider perspective of what you know actually is going on there
2: what what did we agree on Ryan two dollars on Venmo or was it like three dollars I'm going to get <laughs> definitely get that to you uh as soon as we're off here for all that the, the praise and the support <laughs> and I appreciate you guys having me on yeah thanks Chris thanks David see you guys
1: all right see so you thank you Chris well that was fun um Chris does, you know, he didn't have to Venmo me any money. I don't have Venmo either. I'm too old, but uh, I got I'm PayPal man. I'm dying of PayPal. Um, He does a great job with all this stuff. And some of the analytics, like I said, he does do stuff like, wow, that's really cool that you you thought of that and pulled that up somehow.
0: Yeah, honestly, like um, I know some USC fans get subscriptions to. You know, the UCLA site and UCLA site, some of them get subscriptions to USC sites. So I, I know all you ASU fans are probably on Chris's site already, and you should be, and you should stick there. But Arizona fans, like, if you're, you know, really, you know, interested in, in you know, the opposing team, the one you're competing against all the time, Chris does a phenomenal job. So you're already, you know, uh, subscribed to Wildcat Authority. Go go, go! get an ASU subscription, too. Uh, it's It's good stuff.
1: It does. He does a, an amazing job there, and uh, yeah, it's it's kind. Of, it's like this. You, we're not gonna be able to turn away. There's part of me that's like rooting for this to be a, a wild success. And you're just like, wow. And then uh, you know, obviously, part of me that it's just gonna be like the worst thing, at like the biggest train wreck. Like they're calling timeouts to the wrong spot. Like, and plus, any decision he makes is gonna be like third guess to the nth degree. Coaches are like that anyway, but any little thing that could possibly go wrong. like, see, that's why you don't hire a guy that hasn't coached your college for 30 years. Um, So it's just going to be so much scrutiny. I I think it's going to be just fascinating to watch.
0: Yeah, I think it could be. Again, I'm still of the opinion it's a horrible hire and it's going to end horribly, and it didn't need to be this way for ASU. So, you know, again, I, I, I just, this seems like one of those things that, you know, in our present climate where there's so much money involved, it seems even more like just kind of like just pure negligence to make this kind of hire and decision, especially with like a mid-level Pac-12 program. This isn't Oregon State. Like, you don't need to, like, <laughs> again, think outside the room where the box is located. Like, you can you can make an in-the-box hire and make a pretty good hire and sustain some success, I mean, or you could just, you know, retain Todd Graham, the perfectly good coach you already had. Uh, I don't know. It's it's not going to make sense to me for a while. Maybe it's going to completely, as Chris said, maybe it'll just be completely great, and we have no idea, but uh, it remains extremely baffling to me.
1: All right. Well, great stuff from Chris Cartman uh, at Sun Devil Source if you want to follow them uh, on Twitter. He does a great job. But uh, we kind of have uh... a. A game we gotta talk about, Dave. We got a preview coming up.
0: A real live football contest between. I mean, should we should we just get into it? Let's just get into Let's, it.
1: So we have so this is gonna be uh the you know the other team up in Idaho, the Boise State Broncos, they're gonna take on our very own Pac 12s. Oregon Ducks.
0: What's a Bronco noise? It's like <laughs> something like
1: that? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was.
0: I, I, I don't uh, yeah okay fine uh, Boise State number <laughs> 25 in the country taking on Oregon in the Las Vegas Bowl this is on a day of horrible bowl games this is the one good game so um, keep this in mind uh, it's on at twelve thirty p.m. in Vegas on ABC and if you've ever been to the Vegas Bowl in December that is the only time to play this game if you try to play this one at night it will be so cold I once got low level frostbite standing las vegas um oregon is favored by seven and a half.
1: Seven and a half, huh?
0: seven and a half points um so boise state uh let's go by the data we have on their pac-12 matchup this year uh they went to i believe overtime with washington state early on in the season and lost ultimately uh, i think 47-44 um they haven't played any other pac-12 teams this year they did play uh, Fresno State, a team we saw against Washington a couple of times, split, um, beat them in the conference title game. Uh, they played San Diego State, a team we saw a couple of times uh, against ASU and against Stanford, and they beat them by 17. So this is a pretty good and competent Boise State team. But Oregon with Justin Herbert is kind of a different deal to me. And I know they're without Willie Taggart, and that's going to add some tumult to the whole thing. But um, I think they're going to be playing for Crystal Ball who's you know, he's gotten the interim tag essentially removed already. He's he's the head coach now. Um I think they're gonna be pumped up to play for him and put on a good showing for him to uh you know, so it looks good to have made that higher um and I, I i think they cover this seven and a half. I think Justin Herbert looked really, really good in his return and this offense looks so much better with him than it does with whatever quarterbacks they were trying to run out there, Braxton Burmeister or Taylor Alley. Um that I think they they can put up some numbers on Boise State, and this is a good Boise State team, but it's not it's not the Boise State we've come to know in years past. This is probably one of their I wouldn't say worst teams, but it's not it's not one of those top tier level Chris Peterson teams or even the early Brian Harson teams. They're um, they're just okay to me. So I think Oregon takes this covers a seven and a half.
1: Yeah, I think even you know with Willie Taggart leaving time off you don't know what's going to happen in the game. Any, you know, crazy stuff can happen, but I think with, uh, I think they're going to rally around their new coach, Mario Cristobal. And I think um, there's enough continuity there that they'll, they'll be fine for this bowl game. And it's, it's not like you have to wait forever. It's a December 16th game, right? So it's coming, it's coming around here real quick, or we're just days away from it. I think, oh, did I
0: even say the day of the game? I'm it's not sure. Saturday, Saturday, December 16th yeah. at 12 30 PM. On yeah. ABC.
1: Nice. Um, you know, David. You know, we haven't previewed a game for a couple weeks, so that's why. For rusty, uh, I just feel like when, like you said, with Herbert, they're a different team. This will be kind of like a springboard into the off season for this squad. They lose this game. I, I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a, a rougher off season. But I, I just kind of feel like momentum wise, they're going to do all right. Um, and plus, Boise State got a got really lucky at the end of the season. Fresno State should have hosted them. You know Fresno State just beat them, and then unfortunately, you know, and I used to cover Fresno State, so I like a lot of the people there. They had to go up to Idaho to play the game there instead because of some stupid rule in the Mountain West. But they should have played again at Fresno State, which they did not, and uh, and, and Boise ended up winning a close one there. So I think they kind of got a little bit of karma coming their way that they shouldn't have probably been able to host the Mountain West Championship game. Now they're going to go to Vegas, and uh, I kind of feel. Oregon's going to beat them by, like, 17 or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could easily see that. I think it'll be a nice little finish to the season for Oregon, which had a lot of frustration mid-season when Herbert went down and now is, you know, dealing with losing their coach after not even a full calendar year.
1: Interesting. All right. Well, um, so that's that. And then we don't have another game until I think the 26th. is like 10 days off. Uh, yeah. So we'll preview when we do, you know, these shows – um, We'll uh, preview the games that are kind of coming up for that for that next week. So uh, that's the only game we're gonna preview because it's like a it's basically on an island. It's ten days <laughs> removed from all the other uh, all the other games. But that might not be bad for Oregon because you know, just hiring the coach, figuring out you know all the other assistants and stuff like that, and give Mario a chance to kind of really hit recruiting. And maybe, you know, maybe use a, a Las Vegas Bowl victory to show them, like, hey, I just coached the game. I know I'm the, but I, I'm the head coach. We just beat Boise State. We're going to keep this going. Where You know, yeah, uh, Taggart's gone, but we're going to keep uh, building on this. So this might be nice to have the early bowl game for them. And, you know, if Chris Ball can get a win under his belt, then maybe he could use that for on the recruiting trail.
0: Yeah, and I think that's 100% right, and I think it gives him a little bit of momentum. Like, there's a lot of good to have – have this game potentially go big in Oregon's favor especially I mean on the surface I mean it's not according to Vegas but on the surface beating a ranked team that's got 10 wins this year and you're seven and five Oregon I mean I think that's something you can easily sell um as like a immediate thing for people to watch and then um if you win something to sell that you're gonna do a great job there so yeah
1: so we wanted to talk about the uh the conference awards um the all-conference team uh was announced and uh so the offensive player of the year was bryce love so this happened i think on tuesday right so this was like the mm-hmm. day after okay i forget what i talk about half the time so we uh but yeah i get it no you, you know what i'm saying like did i talk about it i'm doing like other podcasts so it's like it's hard to uh not mm-hmm. competing podcasts this is my only pac 12 podcast right do you yeah, do any, it's your one true love do you your do one another true one love is this podcast you don't uh, do any podcast, that's it just bro okay yeah uh no, i meant you don't do another pac 12 podcast like behind my back or anything right
0: yeah, it's that other one that no one's ever heard of because there aren't <laughs> any other pac podcasts st- at all. Actually, there's a Podcast of Champions basketball podcast. Have you ever seen this? No, it's a... It's, a, it's like an Arizona-based uh, Pac-12 basketball podcast. Oh. And I think they started after us, so we should uh, file a season desist.
1: Yeah, we could definitely do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I get weird like uh, emails every once in a while, like, hey, I'm on this Pac-12 Facebook group. I'm like, you are? There is one of those? And I'm like, do they talk about us? Um, so if you're on that Pac-12 Facebook group, make make sure you tell them, hey. Yeah. Listen to the Podcast of Champions. All right, so we're not going to go over like every position if this was the right guard that should have been second team or whatever, but we'll go over some of the big stuff. So Offensive Player of the Year, Bryce Love, Stanford. Is that cool? You agree with that? Or
0: I'm fine with that. That, that's, that completely makes sense. I, I could have made an argument for Khalil Tate. He was the one reason Arizona wasn't a below five hundred team this year, but yeah, Bryce Love's fine.
1: And then uh, the Defensive Player of the Year, Vita Vey from Washington. Uh, I'm
0: am okay, okay with that. That seems fine. Yeah, there was other like I, I, uh,
1: Hercules Mataafa or Ijenna and Wusu were a couple other names that were that were mentioned. Nuosu
0: Nuosu could have gotten it for me just because I think he affected the game in ways that you don't traditionally see from a linebacker. Like, the way he would tip balls at the line of scrimmage, like, it's something that, like, just jumped out to you watching games. It's something that I know the UCLA coaching staff talked about before that game. Like, it's just, that was a factor. And Mata Hoffa I thought, was really, really good this year as well. Um But, yeah, I mean, I think that was fine, too.
1: We got, uh so, for the offensive players of the year, co-offensive players, it was J.J. Taylor from Arizona. Uh, he's a running back. And then uh Walker Little, um uh, lineman for uh Stanford and then co uh, yeah and then I'm sorry uh defensive player of the year freshman defensive player uh Colin schooler uh schooler, uh defensive end uh, defensive player uh, I'm sorry he's a linebacker for the freshman defensive player of the year. And then yep. um which that's fine or whatever. And this one I had the biggest problem with coach of the year David Shaw. I went on like a Twitter rampage about that. So yeah. I don't get your thoughts too but I thought that was ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I thought that was crazy. Um, I I mean, I I think David Shaw did a a fine job this year. Like, I don't think it was great. He obviously had to manage a quarterback situation that wasn't great, but it was sort of his own making that it wasn't great. Uh, He had to manage Bryce Love's injury, which wasn't great. But, you know, I I thought he did a fine job. I don't think it was the best job in the Pac-12. We said earlier we thought it was Todd Graham. But, I mean, I think you can make a case – for Justin Wilcox, who I thought did a great job at Cal. I mean, remember preseason, we all thought Cal was going to be like one and 11 and they went five and seven with a real shot at seven and five. Or even clay help. I mean, I I don't think it was a spectacular job, but um, getting USC to 11 and two. I mean, that's not nothing. Um, So I, I think you can make an argument there. I didn't think Shaw was deserving this year. I thought Stanford was maybe even a little bit, uh, I don't know. I don't know if they were a lot better than their record, but they, they shouldn't have had as many offensive issues at the beginning of the year as they had because he made a bad quarterback decision.
1: Yeah, I think they showed – he was very stubborn. I mean, if you remember that – and they should have lost the Oregon State game. Like, that was a miracle they yep. won that game. And he didn't even play KJ Costello in that. And he was asked at halftime um, – it might have been Jill Savage. I forget who was interviewing him, but like, hey, are you going to see KJ Costello? And he gave this kind of smirk. and And, you know – if I had to put myself in his head, he was, like, showing the world, I, you know, I know you all think we should put this guy in, but I'm going to show you we can win with the other guy. Like, just to be, like, stubborn about it. And almost lost that game. They lost to Mountain West School. Like, I, I get if you want to – most of the time you want to do underachieving or, I mean, overachieving stuff, right? Like, you look at that. Or, like, the big winner. Like, it could be either one. Like, LeBron James will win, like, the MVP once, but then he won't win it for a while because he's the best all the time. If you're going to pick, like, a division winner – you'd had to pick Clay Helton over David Shaw. Like, he beat him twice, you know, and didn't lose to the, you know, they they played some close games, but didn't lose to Western Michigan like Shaw lost to San Diego State. And and to have two head-to-head wins, it just didn't make any sense to me. Like, if you're going to pick a division winner, it should have been Clay Helton. If not, if you want to pick, like, you know, you pick the guy that was picked to finish fifth and ended up finishing second, like Todd Graham, or like you said, Wilcox, only won a couple Pac 12 games, so it's a little harder, but I, I think that's the kind of way you have to go. So just the David Shaw thing made zero sense to me.
0: Yeah, and then, uh, I mean, a couple other notes from here. Um, ASU only had one first team selection for both defense and offense, which is uh, crazy to me for the number two team in the Pac 12 South this year. Overall, I think they only had three total first or second team selections on either side of the ball which is just, I mean, nuts. UCLA's defense had a first-team selection, which I thought was crazy. Uh, Kenny Young got first-team linebacker. Um, Actually, I I didn't agree with all... The only UCLA pick I agreed with was Josh Rosen being either first- or second-team offensive at quarterback. I mean, that was fine. Either Darnold or Rosen, I thought, should have been there. I mean, I think you could have made... You could have made an argument for Khalil Tate again. Um, He tailed off a little bit at the end, but I, I thought... You know, it was going to be Darnold or Rosen for both of those spots, and I think it's fine the way it worked out. Um, the one piece that was weird for me, um, and this is kind of a UCLA-centric point, but I'll make it. Uh, Jordan Lasley led the league in uh, receiving yards, um, in yards per catch, and he only played eight games this year. And he's nowhere to be found in the first or second team offense. Interesting. Which... Is nuts. I mean, he was he was the most explosive receiver in the Pac-12 this year, um, and uh, didn't didn't make the teams. And he was suspended for three or four games, um, which is why he only played eight. So maybe it's, uh, but I I wasn't aware that you know disciplinary actions were a factor in determining who makes first or second team. So that was a little nutty. Anything else jump out to you from this?
1: Well, I mean, because you talked about. Khalil Tate potentially being like an offensive player of the year, but you don't seem to have an issue with him being not first or second team quarterback. Yeah, and, I
0: guess that's a good point. And, and Luke Falk, I, I, and,
1: like Luke Falk too, like I know he got benched a couple times, but should he have been up there also? I don't know.
0: Luke Falk should have been like uh, 11th team quarterback <laughs>
2: for me. Wow. He was okay. so
0: bad this year. And I, I people aren't going to look at those stats and say, oh, he was so bad this year, but that was year air raid offense, and he's out there just throwing picks and not doing anything right for like long stretches of several games. He got pulled twice for Tyler Holinsky, who isn't good. I mean, it, it was that was nuts. I, I thought he had a horrible year. Um, so no, nowhere on it for me. And I guess uh, you're, you're making a good point, which is I just got done saying Khalil Tate could have been the offensive player of the year, but... I mean, uh, maybe in my in my mind, I'm thinking of him as like a playmaker and not necessarily a pure quarterback. And then when I think about the poor, pure quarterbacks, but yeah, hell, let's put Khalil Tate in there. Let's put him in over yeah. I, I probably would have flipped the two. I would have had Rosen first and Khalil Tate second, and then bumped Darnold the third team just because of all those fumbles. But, um, yeah, yeah, uh, you make a good
2: point.
1: Ryan. It's hard though you because you know he didn't play the whole year, and it's not his fault. But and then you know towards the end wasn't setting the world on fire, but he had that like month and a half of just being unstoppable where his numbers were so good. It was like he played the whole year. <laughs> you know,
0: <so>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a tough year. I mean, that's, that's three exceptional quarterbacks. And then if Justin Herbert plays the whole year, he's going to be in that conversation too. Um, so, I mean, some pretty good quarterback play in the, uh, in the pack 12. And then defensively, I thought it was mostly fine. Again, I don't think Kenny Young should have been uh, first team, um, but other than that, I mean, I just think leaving out ASU so much when they were the second-best team in the Pac-12 South strikes me as funny and weird. Yeah. Especially in light of also Todd Graham not getting Coach of the Year. <laughs> you know, it just seems a little funky.
1: Yeah, some people said that a lot of, uh, you know, well, Chris Cartman said it too, like earlier, like Todd Graham's not the most popular guy, so coaches might not vote for him and, yeah, whatever but yeah um so okay so that's the uh the we we didn't talk about the heisman trophy so bryce Love finished second um that's the sixth time since 1982 a stanford player has finished runner up no one else has no other school has more than twice that it's happened so is this like a pac 12 thing is it just larry scott screwing this up too
0: I, I, I think it's, I mean, I, I I think it's nuts. I think it's one of those coincidental things, but they should have won at least one of those. I mean, uh, Christian McCaffrey, I think we went through it a couple uh, maybe last week or the week before, but Christian McCaffrey for sure. And then one of those Andrew Luckiers, he should have won. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, Stanford gets a lot of credit under Harbaugh and Shaw for their defense, which has been good a lot. But that offense has produced some, really explosive playmakers um just and it's a little funky when you think about it because you're always thinking oh stolid old stanford just kind of grinding out four yard carries and that's really hasn't been the offense all that often um yeah they've had you know their toby gerhardt years and i think uh whoever that other quarter uh, the other running back was blanking on his name right now um who was their guy in 2012 ah whatever uh but like toby gerhardt and uh um couple of the other ones they've had who are a little bit more grinded out but you've got McCaffrey you've got love and then you've got you know exceptional quarterback play from Andrew Luck in the last bunch of years I mean that's those have been some good offenses in Stanford
1: so should we uh we don't don't think we have a ton of questions should we jump into some questions though
0: yeah do you want to read the first one while I pull it up
1: yeah which let's see was it uh I think we got uh oh it's okay so these were the fifth I think
0: Just pick one, and then I'll start where I remember we left. We'll
1: go to Bruin Brian. Uh, Dear Bearded Bruin and Tolerable Trojan, your old pal, Bruin Brian, here again with a few random questions. One, who has been worse for the Pac-12, Larry Scott or Tom Hansen? I think I'm going to go with Hansen because he was just awful. Like, at least Larry Scott came in to do a few things, but... He's kind of reverted I mean, the- to Hampson mode. He did a few things early, and then he's just kind of now he's back to status quo.
0: Well, the 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 Pac-12 network for all of its issues is still better than what we had before, which was occasionally games not being even televised. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's better. I mean, what was it? There was that one channel that games kept being on. Was it Versus?
1: Yeah, I think Versus.
0: Yeah, there were a couple of different networks that games would be on that. Like, we joke about the Pac-12 network, nobody has it, but some people have it, and you can get it in a few different ways now. There's, like, Sling TV and all that other stuff, but there were, like, networks that these games would be on that literally nobody had, like, it, well, not literally, you yeah, I mean, you figure, <laughs> but you, you know how that one got moved, I mean, literally doesn't really mean literally anymore, but um, that basically nobody had, you know, like, a um, couple million people might have this network, um, so it's better. It's just not good, and when you compare it to the rest of you know all of college football and every other conference, it's it's really not good. But yeah, he's better than Tom Hansen, who was a complete joke.
1: And I think I think versus used to be something else before it was versus, maybe or I, mean, I don't know. But then then it ended up becoming that's like the NBC Sports Network now. I think right. Um, mm-hmm. But even like the the NCAA basketball tournaments, it's, it's some true TV like games are on that, like whatever that is. Uh, but yeah, so I think it's. I think it's better. But I think that Tom Hansen would just, like, never change anything. Larry Scott changed a few things, but then he's just been kind of, like, steady as she goes since then. Uh, Two, Dave, why the hell did you leave beautiful SoCal to live in Atlanta?
0: Uh, God, that's a great question. Uh, Southern California is very expensive, um, which played into it. It was also a chance to be closer to my lady friend's family. Um, we're unmarried, which is why I can never like come up with a good way to say <laughs> who she friend. is. Um, we're unmarried, living in sin with two children. You know how it is. Um, and uh, it was just a, kind of an opportunity to get out of that expensive, expensive place to live and get somewhat closer to her family. So that's the that's the real reason.
1: We're working on. We're working on. Try to get them back here, guys. So. <laughs> so you can Venmo him some extra cash and then he'll uh, yeah
0: just Venmo me money um, lots of it (laughs) and I will move back that's it that's all
1: number three UCLA has lost a lot of commitments since CK I think he's referring to Chip Kelly came aboard little side note I'm really not big in the whole like i hate it abbreviations the abbreviation
0: of coaches. i hate it so much
1: and like cck coach chips kelly i'm just like i did I... cck
0: i keep th- i keep like stuttering over it in my mind and thinking cpk and then i'm like wait that's weird um and there have been some weird ones that have come out over the years too where it's just like uh i don't think that spells what you like coach urban meyer like think about that one for a second. Yeah. <laughs> take a second think about it it's like you just don't want that and then you're in this position where it's just like well is it just UM then yeah is it just um
1: if it's like a unique name like just say urban you know like you, you know if you say urban you know what you're talking about chip
0: I mean, say, I mean chip. Like, I, I know we like to save uh, characters in this day and age but just uh, say a person's name come on we don't need to do this Yeah, say their last name that's what we in journalism do it's fine but if it's it. like it's, chip, like, it's yeah. like three more keystrokes. Just do it. It's fine.
1: <laughs> All right. So that's a little tangent. Seems like uh, more than I would have expected. He was talking about the uh, loss of commitment, decommitments, as we like to call it in the industry. Can you discuss why so many have left? And if you think the class may ultimately end up stronger than it would have been if JM had stayed?
0: All right, uh, I'll I'll start first. Number one, I don't care. Like I, I just, <laughs> I, when you hire a new coach, some weird things happen in recruiting. Sometimes it ends up bad. Sometimes it ends up good. It doesn't matter if you hire the right coach; it won't matter. Um, second, I think some of these guys are guys who are obviously dropped, um, and I'm not going to name names. But when a new coach comes in, he's often going to see guys who are coming in who he's like, nah, I don't, I don't want to get that guy." Um, Some of the guys who decommitted were out-of-state guys who were tenuous at best to remain committed anyway um, and saw this as a really convenient opportunity to say, nah, we're we're not coming um, out West. And then there were some guys who I think legitimately um, had developed relationships with, you know, Demetrius Martin or other coaches who were on staff who are no longer um, and have, you know, backed off their commitments in a big way. Um, I don't think, you know, it's end of the day for any of those guys at this point, um, usually when you're decommitting pretty late, especially after a coaching change. If you're actually doing the full decommitment, it's, you know, reasonably unlikely that you're going to return to the fold, but um, you know, again, I don't think it matters all that much. I think he's going to end up with a pretty good class. He's putting in a lot of work recruiting. You know, Chip Kelly had a little bit of a knock, actually, um, as, you know, not the most energetic recruiters, but he's drawing great reviews so far, has been Um, you know, on the phones, burning up the phones. And and, um, I think he's, you know, heading out on visits and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I think they're going to end up with a reasonably good class. But usually the effect of a coaching change, or at least this is historically true. And I think it's going to be even more true now that there's the early signing period. The effect is generally felt uh, the following year. So when Jim Mora was hired, that was a great recruiting staff that he initially had at UCLA. The 2012 class was good, but then that 2013 class was top five. Um, And I think if Chip Kelly has the season uh, that, you know, UCLA is certainly paying for um, and uh, puts it together in a big way, I think that's the class where you're really going to start to see um, a big effect from this hire, uh, that 20, what would that be, 2019 class. So that's, that's what I would just keep in mind is that these things, you know, unless the hire is made like right after the season and it's, you know, like USC closed with a great class, I think, when Sark was first hired. Um, but generally, most schools, it's that you're following that because it takes a while to build relationships.
1: Certainly. Um, number four, he says, serious questions. So apparently the other three were not serious questions. <laughs> Are the folks in charge at ASU stupid, playing favorites, somewhat, somehow paid off by someone, or just plain lazy with the hiring of Herm Edwards? I think we, we discussed that pretty well. With, yeah, uh, we, we,
0: we, we've hit that one, Bruin, Brian.
1: Yeah. And then five, Trojan. So it's me. Do the people in charge at uh, dollar sign UC think Clay Helton is a good coach? Are they nervous, as they should be, about the hiring of Chip at UCLA? Um, the people in charge, I think, uh, like him, Lin Swan after the Pac-12 championship game gave him like his full support. I think Lin Swan was even critical after the Rose Bowl. Saying that you know they didn't win the Pac-12, and that's what the goal is. So, I think he's pretty happy with that. At least from what he was saying, he was going to take a standoff of you know like a just a stand back and watch approach. Like let him do his job. He's not going to force him to make some assistant coaches and stuff. Um, I think I don't know. I haven't talked to anyone at USC that's like nervous about the hiring of Chip Kelly, but it certainly has got people's attention, and I think it will force uh, USC to make some changes. They they do need to clean up the staff a little bit um make a few make a few moves they might have one already happening it looks like his brother Tyson Helton was going to take the job as offensive coordinator at Tennessee we haven't heard that 100% sure yet but that's what everyone was reporting and like Dave said if if Bruce Feldman reported it then it's that it's happening he reported that so um we'll find They're they're gonna start practice tomorrow so I'll go down there and find out like if he's sticking around if he's already left for Tennessee we just have no idea at this point. So I wouldn't say nervous, but I certainly think it's going to impact some of the decisions they make in this off season. Yeah. And he said, I hope Ohio state stomps the crap out of suck in the cotton bowl and go Bruins kind regards Bruin, I wouldn't think he's like our, you know, our, our target audience. Like if you're, you're not a PAC 12 fan, like if you just would, you know, if you're always going to root for the PAC 12 teams, those are the people I think would listen to us, but he is certainly not uh rooting for i think you meant usc it's a mixed up you know
0: what you know i'm interested in this actually um fans out there we'd love to hear from you on this point because ryan's contention is that um you know it's it's always good to root for the other teams in the league i'm a little bit more wishy-washy on it um i think there are some circumstances where it's good but like it's there's some circumstances where it's you know Certainly uh, not so good. So I'm interested to hear where people stand on this. Do you always root for the Pac-12 in bowl games? Do you always root for the Pac-12 in non-conference games, or uh, or 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 what have you? Because I know there's a lot of UCLA fans who obviously hate USC, but also hate Cal. Um, <laughs> like really hate Cal for some reason. Like I, I don't get that one, but they really really hate Cal. They hate Oregon. Um, who hate Stanford, like I, I've known a lot of these people. So I'm interested to hear what the general uh, Pac-12 fan base consensus is on all of this because I think there are a lot of people out there who are actually, um, you know, pretty pretty locked in on, on rooting against a lot of Pac-12 teams that are not their own.
1: And if it's just the rival, like if you're a UCLA person, you always hate USC, or if you're Oregon State, you could never root for the Ducks, or if it's like just general – and, you know, if and if you're a UCLA fan and you think Chip Kelly's going to take you to the promised land, it's going to be easier to get to the promised land if USC's better and then you beat them and it makes you look better. You know, it's a, it's obviously that kind of stuff makes sense. But, yeah, tweet us or uh, tell us what you think.
0: Yeah. Or just email us. Whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. We got we got what Pac-12 All-League results from Scott. You
1: OK. Ready? All right.
0: <clears throat> hey, guys. Been listening since day one of the POC and still love tuning in, especially since it's one of the few ways to get my Pac-12 fixed now that I'm living on the East Coast. Here's a question. How does Kenny Young, who couldn't properly fill a hole or make a tackle within five yards of the line of scrimmage, get first team all Pac-12 while Jordan Lasley, who led the league in receiving despite missing three games, was actually four, uh, resulting in um, about 160 yards per game average, get honorable mention? UCLA had one of the worst defenses in the nation, yet the MLB gets first team. This The mind boggles. Who exactly decides which players get selected for these teams? I don't even know why I'm mad. This falls right in line with the Pac-12's buttness in the, across, across all facets of league operations this year. Cheers or whatever, Scott in New England. Uh, so Scott read my mind, or I read Scott's. Um, but yeah, I think both of those were weird. Um, as for who decides this stuff, I know it's, you know, they say the coaches do. I would guess that a lot of SIDs are actually getting tasked with this job. And I imagine a lot of them are just looking at stat sheets. That would be my guess as to what's going on. Now that doesn't explain why Jordan Lasley didn't get first or second team all pack 12 when he led the team and led the country, uh, not country, led the conference in receiving. Um, but I, I don't think it's guys making a lot of really informed decisions.
1: Yeah. I mean, imagine like you have a regular job and then someone asks you to do this task that you really don't want to do. Um, and you got to vote on things. And, you know, which offensive uh, tackle is the, you know, honorable? Men- it's like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. So they probably don't, they, you know, your team better than the people that were voting know your team. So if it, you can make that argument, and I don't think it, it's not like they're in a room and discussing it. So they could, someone can point that out. If, if they were in a room discussing it, all the coaches together, someone would have said, hey, Jordan Lasley uh, led the league. And they're like, oh, okay, we should put him up there. But no one's doing that, so you're just voting and you're overlooking people that you probably shouldn't be. So I wouldn't say it's a conspiracy, Scott, but it's not a I would I would trust like the AP ones more, but even those there's there's weird stuff that get through there. Like, how did that guy make it? So I don't know. Right. Okay. Uh that's for Scott in New England. Thank you. Tiffany. Um oh I'm sorry, this is <laughs> nope, nope. that, that that's, was a, that's just
0: an email. That's, that's just, just a, an email.
1: That's just a regular email. Okay. Uh, This is from Ryan. Podcast deep thoughts. Uh, Okay. This is a little long. Thanks for the good work you both put into the pac podcast and Dave for the bro work as well, even though you forget to take your Prozac at times. (laughs) Fair. I enjoy the honesty about the UCLA football program. Brutal honesty, I would say. I share your schoolgirl (laughs) excitement about the dawn of the Chip Kelly (laughs) era. This guy knows you well.
0: Is he this, does. Is wow! Is, is like he a former
1: therapist on... or something? Or is this uh... yeah, I, maybe,
0: maybe, maybe, he sh- maybe he should be? He yeah. really has insight.
1: <laughs> I wanted to respond to a couple of points you raised in your last podcast. First, about the Pac-12 officiating. I am personal friends with a whack slash Mountain West football official who who whom happens to be my tax guy yeah, as well.
0: Def- def- definitely should be who there.
1: Well, he put whom. I was just. Uh, I, know.
0: I I know. I know. We'll put a sick in parentheses there.
1: <laughs> whom sick happens to be my tax guy as well. So this is a Mountain West whack official. I thought the Mountain West shared officials with the Big 12, but okay. Um, he and I have had several conversations about the quality or lack thereof of the Pac-12 officials. He said the Pac-12 conference has prioritized more diversities, and he put in parentheses skin color, of their officials over the on-field performance for a long time. He claims... This is well known throughout the college football officiating circles, and it's not going to change anytime soon without a challenge at the top paging Larry Scott interesting so there's like uh, a there's an Asian head official right um yeah, which you don't I, see a lot of those
0: you don't you don't but i don't i mean i haven't really. I, I, I wouldn't say it's a cross-racial
1: lines. I think it's just all bad. Like I wouldn't I, say I think
0: they're all bad. I mean the the worst pac 12 ref we can all remember is our good friend Glasses.
1: Right. right. He's a white dude.
0: Uh, so I don't know. I think it's I, I don't I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's all just the, the training, the reviews, the competence level of the people hiring and reviewing. I think it's just it's a systemic issue that I don't think has anything to do with, you know, making whatever diversity hires.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh he said second, I really enjoyed your conversation about the theory of another suck leaving the Pac-12 to become independent to reap more TV revenue and wake up the conference brass who was obviously asleep at the wheel. I wanted to share a modern day case study with you guys that you could debate on a future podcast. BYU became independent in 2011 at the same time signed an 8-year deal with ESPN making their annual TV revenue uh let's wait. Um the revenue, their figure, so it went revenue from, from 1. 1. 1.5 5 5 million. 5. I'm sorry, what was that?
0: I was just doing it, but you can do it.
1: Okay, yeah. So it, it went up. I think he's missing a word there. Uh, went up from 1.5 million to over 5 million. Uh, results since versus the Mountain West champion, strength of schedule. Uh, let's see. It said 2011, 10-3, and 3, uh, and then in parentheses 66, that's their strength of schedule. Mountain West champion TCU was 11-2. They had a 43rd-ranked schedule. In 2012, they were 8-5, 36th ranked schedule. Boise State was 11-2, 75th-ranked schedule. Uh, 2013, they were also 8-5. and five. Their schedule keeps going up, 28th. The Mountain West champion Fresno State, 11-2. Their schedule is going down, 77th. 2014, 8-5 again, 58th-ranked schedule. Mountain West champion Boise State, 12-2, 64th. Uh, Let's just
0: abbreviate this. Every year, BYU's strength of schedule is better than uh, the Mountain West until this past year when they were 82nd and Boise State was 67th.
1: Gotcha. Okay, that's that's the kind of point he was making there. He said, "I would argue BYU had to play a much tougher schedule being independent and lost a significant amount uh, of national recognition not being a conference champion." However, gained three and a half million annually in TV revenue and still went to mediocre bowl games along. The way collecting an average bull payout of six hundred twelve thousand per year, good move for USC. Still thoughts? Thanks, guys. Go Bruins. Uh, Ryan G from Yorba Linda. Hmm. I did. Uh, I don't know. What tw- do you think? Someone tweeted me the. Uh, well, first of all, the it's it's a really hard comparison with BYU. It's, a, it's certainly a different sort of thing. Um, someone wrote. I think an SB Nation guy wrote a story based on like one of my tweets. Um, I'm actually going to be on John Wilner's podcast this week um, our buddy, John, who, you know, does a great job covering the PAC 12. He does a, he does the PAC 12 podcast just kind of infrequently. He doesn't do it all the time. And he gave us high praise, Dave, by the way, he was like, he aspires to be like us. So though I told that's, him that... we quote him a lot in our, in our stuff, but
0: I think that's a solid goal for anyone out there.
1: Yeah. They, they should be, be like, more us. like us. Yeah, anyway, less like other people. So he, he thought it was fascinating. So he had me come on the podcast and talk about it. And, um, like, I, I'd said, like, USC, the brass at USC is not even thinking about this. Like, it would take someone, like, maybe Lin Swan has it in the back of his head, but to everyone that was there before, no one was ever thinking that way. So I don't it's, I don't ever think that something's going to happen. But I feel like if it was at least discussed and explored, then maybe it would force the Pac-12 to kind of change a little bit. And uh, the, the, the whole, you know, Larry Scott's focused on parody – which is fine. It's probably better for all the schools involved. But if you want your conference to be relevant, I don't think you focus on parity. I think you have to kind of clear a path for the schools or whoever is at the top. Don't impede them from making the playoff. And you could argue this year, if USC didn't have to play Washington State on Friday night and had a bye week somewhere, that they're in the playoffs. So the, just the Pac-12 schedule alone could have kept USC out of the playoff this year.
2: yeah.
0: I mean, again, yeah, sure. As a specific example, maybe. But, again, USC was not. No, I don't main, think they are
1: playoff worthy. But yeah. is Alabama? Like, who's Alabama beat this year?
0: All right, well, let's just go by S&P Plus, which is an advanced stat ranking. Because I, I want to make this point to people. Alabama didn't win their conference, right? But this is a study of dominance, essentially, as the S&P Plus. It basically is tracking play-by-play, play, how dominant are you? You know, drive-by-drive, drive, how dominant are you? Alabama was the number two team in the country, according to advanced stats. USC was 22nd. Um, so the, the teams that made the playoff were what? Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and who was the other one?
1: I'm sorry. So you're talking about playoff teams?
0: Yeah. Who's the other playoff team? Oh, Oklahoma. Yeah, I to um,
1: say, what? Like what? Oh.
0: Those are all uh, top eight teams in you know, according to advanced stats, whereas USC's, you know, 22nd. And that wouldn't have changed drastically if they beat Washington State by three or lost by three. But, if they, you know, the if Internet they had
1: a joke. bye week, they might have beat teams. You know, I think Clay Helton's mentality going into the season, right or wrong, was conserving energy and not going all out all the time. And because of the. Yeah, no but bye how week.
0: would a bye week have kept them from being um, facing whatever it was, a fourth and one against Texas, where if Texas punches it in. They win instead of going to overtime. I mean, I think it it changed their
1: practice schedule. I don't agree with what they did, but I think that was something that was on his mind all year. And I think it impacted the team all year.
0: Well, I I get that, but like, I don't know. The same team that, you know, was in it, you know, struggling against whatever directional Michigan team they were playing at the beginning of the year where they were tied in the fourth quarter, um, where they, you know, nearly lost to a Texas team that ended up seven and five where they were tied with Cal at halftime or whatever. I just don't, I mean, I, I I get the point where if they had beaten Washington State, they probably, you know, would have made the playoff, but it would have been a very undeserving team in the playoff. Right. Like, they wouldn't have been a, you know, a particularly dominant or great USC team in the playoff. And I don't think getting killed by whatever it would have ended up being, Georgia or Clemson or Alabama, um, I, I just don't think that necessarily does any favors to the Pac-12 either. You know, well, I I, mean, especially a year after Washington looked, semi-competitive against Alabama but only because they were playing like really really well and otherwise that was pretty much a blowout as well I just don't think it would have it would have done a real service to the Pac-12
1: I mean but you know the SEC has two teams in there two teams that haven't even played each other this year so you're talking about USC and Ohio State had to play 10 conference games Alabama only played eight you're at least giving your teams a chance and I think if you could argue that if the SEC did something to their schedule that made it so Alabama couldn't make the playoff, that would be a huge problem. Um, USC and Stanford, that's like Alabama and Auburn playing in week two. All that all that stuff I don't think makes sense. So that's all reasons why I think, yes, I, I don't think any Pac-12 team deserved to be in the playoff, but you could have made it and, and been in there and get the bigger payday and have a chance to win the national championship. You know, I mean, that's, You don't want to, like, hold yourself out of that. If a team goes and, you know, Washington went last year and didn't look all that competitive, fine, whatever. But you don't want to, like, hold yourselves back, like, sanction yourself from going to the playoff, and I think that's what the Pac-12 does.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I get the point. I get the point. Where I get tripped up is when we start applying it specifically to this season. I think it makes sense as as a general point, which is, yeah, the Pac-12 should assess at the beginning, like when they're setting schedules for the next year, all right, who's our like top four-ish teams? Because you never know, you know specifically who's going to be right. super dominant, but who's our top four teams? Let's make sure they don't have anything insane in front of them. Not necessarily let's set it up in favor of them, but let's make sure it's not stupid. Like, I think Washington had a lot of stupid stuff this year. I think they had maybe even a more egregious claim the USC, and again according to advanced stats you washington was a much better team um but this is i i think they set things up poorly for teams that are going to be good but i don't think necessarily that any team in this in this league was good enough to make the playoff this year i think it's like a it's a weird it, it's not a weird time to make the argument but it's not like a perfectly fitting time because anybody like me just now can come back with well any pac-12 team in the playoff would have got killed anyway um <laughs>
1: I mean but, yeah. I think the one thing you could argue though too is like they put roadblocks in front of all the top four teams. Like, you know, Washington State. Uh what did they have to play? They played Cal on a Friday after a road game. Then they had, you know, and they would have had if they had made the championship game, they would have played at Seattle and then come down to Santa Clara on a Friday night. Stanford went to freaking Australia, played the the favorite in the Pac twelve in week two, um, and then had you know, they ended up losing you know, so if they're not doing that, maybe Stanford doesn't lose to San Diego State. And they're a little bit better. And and yeah. you make everybody a little bit better. And you know Washington losing uh, – they had to go a Friday night to play Stanford. Washington and Stanford on a Friday night, like, are you freaking kidding me? Um, and that's what they had to do. So it's like roadblocks were in front of all the power teams. They all end up losing. And it makes those games at the end less important. So I think you're hurting the overall upper-end brand. Don't do that. Let teams teams are going to screw up anyway. Don't put roadblocks in front of them and and help them screw up.
0: Well, and I would also say they put roadblocks in front of a lot of the crappy teams too. I mean, Cal and <laughs> UCLA both had Friday night road games as well um, that were just. I mean, and Cal was playing a Friday night road game on six days rest, same as everybody else. at The end of the year, um, it, it's more just. I, 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 we're talking about it in particular, but it's more just. Uh, this is a systemic issue with the entire conference, which is they're run by idiots who don't get football and don't understand the, the, the sport. And so the schedule was extremely stupid this year. It's, you know, mildly competent next year, but it was a bad, horrible schedule this year. Um, and it affected, I think the more noticeable one is it affected the teams that, you know, had a chance, but it affected everybody. Nobody won a Friday night road game in this conference. Um, so I just, you know, it's, it's, it's screwed up. So, um, it's getting fixed next year to at least a certain extent, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get your point. Like I completely get it. It's just, I, I don't know if this year it would have, it would have necessarily, you know, if USC doesn't lose that game, they're in the playoff, but they might be getting killed, um, versus, you know, and they might get killed against Ohio state. Uh, but I just, you know, I think this is maybe a, a better result for that program. Maybe not for the PAC 12 as a whole, but maybe better for the USC program. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, you want to go your buddy's next, I think.
0: Okay. All right. Let's do this. Um, Hithliday almond. Oh, you know what? We were supposed to do a segment on his last question in this episode, but we have the planning, uh, ability of a pair of morons. <laughs> We'll get to it next week. We'll get to it next week. Um, All right, this is Dog Whistles from Day Almond. I'm happy to learn I've inspired a new segment breaking down structural aspects of programs. I look forward to hearing it and, of course, the fat royalty checks. (laughs) Once we actually record it, maybe. Uh, Three issues come up repeatedly on the podcast. One, the Pac-12 has many silly policies in terms of scheduling, kickoff times, and officiating. Two, the champion has now been left out of the playoffs twice. And three, the conference should be making more money. Your listeners repeatedly write in to suggest these things are connected, but I get the sense you, Dave and Ryan, don't actually believe they are. Two years ago, I asked about Stanford getting left out because they lost to Northwestern and Oregon, and you replied that you would that they would have played those teams even with an eight-game conference schedule, and that the trees were left out because they just weren't that good. Earlier this year, I asked you if more revenue actually means anything for schools like USC and Stanford, which already have sufficient resources to meet their program goals, and you said nope. It's just a dick-measuring contest for them, and additional revenue is only significant to a school like Wazoo. This year, you've both repeatedly stated that you don't think USC is one of the four best teams in the country, but they, that they'd have stuck into the playoffs if the poor Trojans had just one more day of rest before facing the mighty 33,000 in Pullman. I'm not sure if Wazoo is the hero or villain in the narrative here, but Ryan's heel turn with wanting USC to ditch the deadweight schools is at least amusing. So, what am I to think on connecting these things? Do you seriously believe it would be great for the Pac-12 if its undeserving champions, through some presto changer to conference policies, defraud their way into the playoffs and get killed by better teams in order to have a playoff distribution check sent to all that have-not programs who, in gratitude, would agree to stop upsetting their betters and donate another waterfall to Heritage Hall, hire referees with the wisdom of Solomon, and construct a broadcast tower so powerful it forcibly blasts the Pac-12 network into the bridgework of East Coast fans? and that this sweet but unearned manna from heaven would at la- long last make all the teams your listeners root for stop sucking at football. And if you don't believe this nonsense, aren't you dog-whistling your listeners by implying that it's the conference that's screwing them instead of the reality that they have serious competitive problems of their own making because they hire shitty coaches and have fickle fans?
2: <laughs> wow,
0: that was poetry. I that like was that. that. was gorgeous.
1: You have to have a name like Hithliday to, to write that, I would say.
0: That was beautiful. Well, that's, I mean, that's a thats a pseudonym. I don't know what, or a nom de plume, <laughs> if we will. Um, wow. Uh, there's a lot to digest here. I wish I'd read this one before I read it out loud. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 where I stand on this is sort of like a, a middle ground where, yeah, the Pac-12 does screw some things up. Um, big time in a lot of ways, but I also like the point I just made when we were talking about the last thing, wow, it's really dovetails nicely. Actually. Um, the point I just made is that I don't think anybody in the conference was good enough to win a playoff game this year. So maybe it's simply that, you know, it does, uh, here's a question. Does USC having clay Helton put them at a competitive disadvantage, um, with being a potential playoff team? Like if they'd had, you know, prime Pete Carroll this year, are they a playoff team?
1: Uh, probably
0: if they'd made, basically if they'd made an elite hire, instead of hiring a coordinator in 2000, uh, you know, in uh, the November of 2015 does, you know, do they actually, you know, make the playoff
1: this year? I mean, obviously that's hard to say, but I I think you could, you could argue that just like you could say, Hey, if they didn't have to, if the schedule was better and not, you know, if there was a bye week and not Friday night road games after a road game, you could argue they'd make the playoff too. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to really say. But you would think like it was the the margin was that thin that yeah that probably would have happened if you had a better coach you'd maybe have a couple better players who knows and you know from recruiting and all that stuff not that he recruited bad but yeah I, I you could make that argument
0: well I would I would connect it closer to being competitive in the playoff because I think if you have a better coach I wouldn't be sitting here saying you know oh well USC might make it but then they're going to get killed you know what I'm saying like yeah. if if they had Pete Carroll or if they, you know, if they'd hired Chip Kelly in 2015 or if they'd hired Chris Peterson at some point, like I would then say, oh, well, yeah, USC has a real chance and they're, you know, potentially gonna, gonna win it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting point. Um, I mean, where do you stand on all of this?
1: Well, so I would say, um, it's not, this is not like a great year either. Like all the teams are flawed and if you have a team that is as much talent as USC, sure they could get killed, but, if they beat, like, Ohio State, they they could have won a playoff game, you know? Uh, so, I think, that like, just to say, automatically, they don't deserve it is is hard. But, you know, you just don't know. I don't think any team is, like, amazing out there. We've seen all these teams kind of play poorly. You know, Clemson looks really, really good. And they lost to a horrible Syracuse team on a Friday night, by the way, uh, on the road. Um, so, I w-
0: by, if, by, by three points.
1: Uh, I would say... As far as the revenue stuff goes, I don't ever remember saying it doesn't matter um, for the bigger teams. I think the problem is not just the daily budget. Like, okay, you have money, you have plenty of money, and I think Larry Scott's like, we've never had the most money. Well, the problem is that the gap is just going to get wider and wider. And and the Pac-12 is stuck in this terrible TV contract. We had Fox and ESPN that came together, so it was like Republicans and Democrats like agreeing on something. Like something's weird about that. Like they have to both be getting over on the party that they agreed with, and they are. Um, it's a great deal for Fox and ESPN. It's not a great deal for the Pac 12. That gap is going to get wider and wider. And I think it's going to hurt probably the lower teams even more. Um, because if you're, you know, if you're talking like Rutgers and, and Washington State or something, do you want Rutgers, who's pretty terrible at football, making like a hundred million dollars more over like a five year period than Washington State? Like that's, you know, program changing money. Um, and I think there was a, a boom in the beginning and we saw a lot of you know coaches got hired and all that kind of stuff and some facility upgrades, but everyone else is gonna be making a lot more money going forward. Like you can't just sit on your laurels. I think it's I think that's a big part of the problem. And it's not about USC leaving behind Oregon states of the world or wash it's not really about that. It's about they're just a program that could, you know, in my you know, my theory is could survive on their own. And if you can make more money doing it and not have to deal with a lot of the problems in the Pac twelve there's a reason you should at least consider it. And if if you at least look at it and force some change in the Pac-12, it makes it better for everyone else. That's just what I was
0: saying. Yeah, I mean, I I get all that. I mean, like, I'm looking at it from, like, the UC perspective, too, because a couple of these uh, teams are UCs. um, Like, there are stipulations in, like, how much you can even pay coaches from the UC regions. Like, it's not like this is, like, The arms race of money, like, there's only so many different places you can put it. Like, Rutgers with $100 million is still Rutgers. I mean, it's not like it's suddenly going to become Ohio State because it has $100 million. It's never going to be Ohio State. They're never going to be able to... uh, Coaching salaries aren't ever... Especially at, like, state universities, especially at public universities, they're never going to be, like, $20 million a year. Like, that's just not where this arms race, I don't think, is going. I mean, it's taken... Uh, man, it's taken like 15 years to get from like the max coach being paid like 2 million a year to now like 7.5 or whatever Jimbo Fisher just got. Um, and it's just, it's just hard to see it ever getting into the point where it's like a literal arms race in terms of paying for coaches. And then if it's not that, what are you putting that money into? So all these Pac-12 teams have already invested in facilities for the most part. I mean, I think there's a couple of them who still haven't done it. But for the most part, I mean, ASU got a brand new facility. USC got one in the last 10 years. UCLA got one last year. Um, I mean, they've all gotten brand new facilities. They're all paying their coaches pretty well, except for ASU, which decided to torpedo their program for no apparent reason. (laughs) Um, But, I I mean, you look at all that, and I'm just – I'm wondering where all that money will go. Because I think it goes to the university at large – in a lot of, especially a lot of the public universities, I, I think there are hard limits to how much the state is willing to approve them paying a football coach. Um, and I just, I, like, I, I, I get in theory you don't want to lose that money arms race, but I'm, I'm failing to connect where, what point at which it's just this is just a, uh, to day's point, just a kind of a dick measuring contest where it doesn't, you know. If if Rutgers gets a hundred million dollars and the Pac-12 team over here gets fifty million dollars, well, what is that extra fifty million dollars getting them?
1: Yeah, is I, I wouldn't it say to I'm the university expert. at
0: large, or is it to the actual athletic
1: program? No, I think it's the athletic program, and I I think once you start to see, and we've we've seen one um, university president at Washington State start to talk about this, where they lost Bill Moos, uh, you know, athletic director to uh, Nebraska, but it's you know, I think you'll lose some of your best talent that you're not going to be able to play or pay as much to. And I think really the 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 unseen kind of expenses of having those support staffs that do so much work on the recruiting front and social media, and we're seeing the Alabamas and Clemson's of the world investing a lot of money in that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but
0: how much are you paying them? You're not paying them $50 million. I mean, it, so Alabama's got its crazy support staff of like 30 dudes, right? It's something crazy like that, but they're not paying them each like a million dollars a year. I mean, a lot of those guys are like not GAs, but they're dudes making like maybe, you know, 40 or 50 grand a year. I mean, that's doable under uh, pretty much any one of these Pac-12 teams budgets right now. They just don't do it. And I think that speaks to, you know, maybe the competitive problems of hiring and, you know, running an organization. I know... Chip Kelly, a little bit of info about him. He doesn't like having a huge staff of support people. He thinks it's too many voices in a room and that sort of thing. So it can also be a preference thing. I just, I, I yeah, okay. But you were finishing your point.
1: No, no. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert on the expenses and how the, the budgets are run from athletic departments. But if you were if you're Washington State and you're competing with other schools at similar levels in the Big Twelve or the Big Ten or the sec and you know there's a 20 million dollar revenue gap in television every year year after year and that just keeps going on and on i I would think that's going to have a a major toll
0: yeah i guess i'm just failing to connect it i think a lot of schools still a lot of like coaching salary decisions are especially at the bigger schools a lot of it's just still booster driven because it's guys who want influence in the program and then you've got the tv money but i think I just don't know how much of that is like getting reinvested specifically into football, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I get the point, but I just I, I'm I'm struggling to connect when it gets into the astronomical figures, like when we're starting to talk about you know a hundred million dollars for Rutgers over the course of five years or whatever it is versus forty or fifty million for the University of Washington. It's just like, well, okay, I mean, it's still a lot of money that they really weren't getting before, and it's not like coaching salaries have risen you know, so astronomically to make up for that. I mean, the, it, we're not too far removed from when the, you know, these TV contracts were minuscule comparatively. Um, and it's not like the, the the coaching salaries have risen in that same, you know, kind of ratio. It's, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the TV boom certainly happened, but it's also going to, you know, th- that bubble is also probably going to burst. And I don't think we're going to be looking at, you know, these kinds of huge revenue gaps, even like 10 years in the future, because, you know, people are cutting the cord in rapid numbers and ESPN's going to have to reevaluate every single one of these contracts very soon. So I don't know. It seems like, like I think intuitively to everybody, it makes sense. Oh, wow. There's this huge revenue gap, but what does it actually mean in terms of actual on field stuff? And that's where I'm just, and maybe there is a really good answer. I just, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, good, good. Uh, day, good stuff from him. I like that. Yeah. Uh, next next up, let's see. Uh we got Anthony. Hey Ryan and Dave, what are your thoughts on the new coaching salaries of Pac-12 and the SEC? For the Pac 12. Every
0: one of these guys wants to talk about money, Ryan.
1: Yeah. Everyone. Chip Kelly, 4.66 million. Mario Cristobal, 2.5, Herm Edwards 2, Jonathan Jonathan Smith, 1.9. The SEC, Jimbo Fisher, 7.5, Dan Mullen, 6.1. Jeremy Pruitt, 3.8. Chad Morris, 3.5. Matt Luke, 3 million. And Joe Moorhead, 2.6 million. Thoughts? Yeah.
0: I mean, Chip Kelly, um, he's getting the 4.66. Was offered more by Florida, as far as I know, but saw UCLA as a better job. And then the other three, I mean, Mario Cristobal, nobody was interested in hiring for head coach, so they could get him for basically... You know, anything they wanted. Herm Edwards, another guy nobody was interested in hiring as a head coach. They got him for whatever they wanted. Uh, I guess his agent got him an extra, you know, million dollars more than he's probably worth. Uh, And then Jonathan Smith, uh, you know, it's his first head coaching job, and he's getting like a big-time, I mean, a big-time Power 5 job. It's not a great job, but it's a Power 5 job as his first head coaching gig. So those all seem pretty fair to me. Um, Jimbo Fisher is a proven national title-winning head coach. Uh, 7.5 is insane. 10 years for $75 million is insane, um, especially when you factor in that it's guaranteed. Um, Dan Mullen is a proven coach, um, having coached like 11 years at Mississippi State and turned that program into something that's actually credible. Uh, the Jeremy Pruitt hire, I'd love to get your wife's thoughts on this. I don't think it was a great hire. Um, I think Alabama DCs and Alabama OCs, it's been really hit or miss. Obviously, Kirby Smart's been pretty good for Georgia, but I don't know about Jeremy Pruitt. And then, you know, the rest of these I think are fine. I think Matt Luke is probably a little overpaid at Ole Miss, but it's probably a, you know, that was probably a persuasion thing because Ole Miss is now under sanctions, so something to get him to stay on board. And then Joe Moorhead is a first-year guy at Mississippi State, so that makes sense. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this just kind of shows you what, um, I mean, what we're going to see is, like, a bunch of new coaches in Pac-12 making significant, you know, you add them all up and – they don't add up to two of the, the SEC coaches that are, you know. Um, so it's, I, I think it's just going to be if the gap keeps going like that, and you know, projected all the thing, the projections I see is it is going that way. Then you're talking about it's harder to keep coaches. It's not like a Willie Taggart thing where you're going to like a dream job and you get to go to uh, Florida State. But if it's close, if it's not the dream job, but you're at a a program of similar size but they're willing to pay two million dollars more a year for their head coach then I think that's going to be a problem and then you could have a brain drain as far as you know anytime you get a really good coach you could just pluck them away from the Pac-12 and they're making that much less money so I I think that's what part of the problem is from the last question Um, I mean these numbers don't surprise me but I think because of that revenue gap it's just going to be I mean it's just gonna get worse and worse and it's gonna be harder for these teams, all the teams to compete, and just in my opinion.
0: Yeah, but but none of these I mean, none of the Pac twelve teams are paying the max of what they could have paid. I mean ASU is fresh off of, you know, Todd Graham getting well over three million dollars a year, um, and they're paying Herm two million. Um these are all I they read to me, they're discount hires. They got Jonathan Smith, he's an alum, they think it's gonna work out, they just dealt with You know, Gary Anderson quitting on the midseason, so they want a guy who's loyal to Oregon State. That makes sense. Herm Edwards is whatever, Ray Anderson's best buddy, so he gets uh, the job at ASU. And Mario Cristobal is a coordinator who, you know, last had a job as a head coach, you know, seven years ago. But, I mean, Chip Kelly at 4.66, that's a hard line set by the UC Regents. Um, That is, I think, 30% more than Jim Moore was going to make this year, which would have been. Uh, that's the that's the hard cap from the UC Regents uh, before you have to get reapproved at the contract level. So, I, I I get what you're saying, but I don't know that these four hires are necessarily indicative of that revenue gap. I think it's more that three teams in the Pac-12 made discount hires this year, um, well below what they could have paid a head coach.
1: Well, I think Matt Luke, that's a I mean that's an interim you know that's a discount higher too and he's getting more yeah but it's
0: but it's all under sanctions i mean and i i don't know maybe there's a premium you have to pay to you know to get a head coach in the sec especially in the sec west where you're going to be in a really competitive division where you have to deal with alabama constantly making the playoff let alone winning their division so um you know i i i think there's some circumstantial differences for sure um and yeah, there's there's some revenue difference no no question, but I don't know that that's indicated by the by the amount they're paying their coaches necessarily. But maybe I'm wrong. I could 100% be. I just, you know, Chip Kelly's Chip Kelly took a, you know, took a healthy discount from what he was going to get paid at Florida. He was probably going to get that 6 million that Dan Mellon got to coach at UCLA. And uh, I don't for some of these guys I don't even know that it's necessarily the biggest of deals to get 7 versus 6 or 5 versus It's for whatever it is. I think they're going to look for situations that work for them.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the thing is with it's going to limit the Pac 12 more where you're going to have to find people that if this was a straight up bidding war and UCLA wanted Chip Kelly and Florida wanted him, like Chip, UCLA's not going to win it. You know, they're going to get, he's going to get more money of Florida. But Chip Kelly's personality, he's more of a West Coast. I mean, it would just fit better on the West Coast. So you have to kind of find those. But if you get other ones where, it's not a guy that needs to be in the Pac-12. He could go anywhere, and an old Miss is able to offer more than UCLA, and he goes to Old Miss. Like you don't want that happening. Like you don't want that kind of stuff. And I think that's what it can can lead to. But you know,
0: yeah. I, I, but like I look at like Jeremy Pruitt, Chad Morris, Matt Luke, and Joe Moorhead. Which of those four guys did Oregon State, Oregon, or ASU would they have even wanted? I mean, yeah, maybe Chad Morris, maybe. But, like, Jeremy Pruitt wasn't going to be a candidate anywhere outside of the SEC because that was the main reason Tennessee hired him is because he has SEC experience. Yeah. Um, Matt Luke was the interim at Ole Miss that they promoted, but I don't think he was any kind of hot candidate. Joe Moorhead, perhaps, but Joe Moorhead's a guy without any West Coast experience or ties. So, I, yeah, I mean, there's there's some circumstantial, you know, stuff there. I just don't know that, you know, these guys – are dudes who wouldn't have even been, like, considered for Pac-12 jobs. Now, Dan Mullen, maybe. And Dan Mullen, maybe at $6 million a year, that's not something a Pac-12 team is willing to pay for a guy who, you know, certainly turned around Mississippi State but never turned it into anything great. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I think at this – especially at this mid- to lower-tier level, um, like, if if Tennessee doesn't go after Jeremy Pruitt at 3.8 but Oregon decides to turn around and offer him three, is he coming to Oregon? I mean, or is he waiting around for the next SEC opening?
1: No, I, think, I prob- think he would probably come, but then the problem is that if he does well, then an SEC school offers him four and a half next year, and then he's gone, you know?
0: And that's maybe the issue with ever, you know, really – and this is uh, – there is, like, a real legitimate, like, West Coast, like, East Coast divide here, um, which I think should be – especially in the context of the Taggart thing. When you hire a guy who's, like, Florida ties or SEC ties – and you hire him out West and you're not, say, USC um, or, you know, maybe University of Washington or maybe, 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 maybe UCLA. Uh um, I think you do have to be in fear of that. Like, especially a guy like Taggart, um, the first big Florida opening that comes up, he's going to be talked about it for it at least. And that has to be a consideration even when you're doing the hiring. I think it's just the Pac-12 is a different deal from, I mean, it's, it's the one major conference that's, this far, I mean, and significantly further away from the rest of them. So it does involve a little bit more, you know, fit, I think, when you're looking at who's going to be a head coach out here. And we're kind of getting away from the money now, but I think that has to play into the conversation. You know, yeah. the SEC schools have to be super competitive in salary compared to Big Ten ACC because they're all competing for the same pool of guys who recruit that whole area and all of that deal. Um, the Pac-12 it certainly is to an extent, but just not quite as much because they don't, you know, the guys who have, packed, who have West Coast ties, um, they're only really going to the Pac-12, maybe a couple of Big Ten schools, maybe a couple of Big 12 schools like Oklahoma or, you know, Nebraska or Texas, like maybe those guys will end up with guys who have, um, you know, real West Coast ties. But for the most part, the West Coast guys stay in the West Coast. And I'm really interested to see what Oregon does with Mario Cristobal, if and when you know Mark Richt retires at, at. So say Cristobal does really well there, and Mark Richt retires at Miami, is Cristobal leaving?
1: Yeah, I would think. I mean,
0: so I I think you have to assess fit really, really, really well when you're when you're hiring at the Pac-12. Yeah,
1: it's almost all. it's almost like one of us is like more fiscally conservative, and one of us is more fiscally liberal. <laughs> liberal and- well, the money doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter all that much you just, you, and money you just, means a you, lot you, you, you
0: can't stand that revenue gap you <laughs> cannot stand it under any
1: circumstances
0: no. and i get it i get it <laughs> all right we got one last question uh this is from our man zach um hey ryan and dave let's get right to the questions this week one i get the frustration at larry scott but as an objective consumer of college football can't we admit that the pac-12 didn't have a team on par with any of the playoff contenders did everyone get a memo that we're gonna just going to ask like the same question in a different way? It is a bunch <laughs> of times. Um, is it really Larry Scott's fault that the Pac-12's very elite, once in a decade conference champion is a touchdown dog on a neutral field to a team that let Iowa hang fifty-five on them?
1: Um, we kind of went over this.
0: Uh. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, yes, we get your point. Um, but Ryan's point is a good one that if um. You know, if if they'd done a little bit better scheduling, USC could have made it into the playoff. But yeah, I mean, it's, still
1: been you'd be a seven point dog in the playoff against a similar team, and like at least you have a chance to win the national championship at that point.
0: Right, right, right. And I think that's a fair point. Um, it's just a question of whether, you know, and it gets into all that deserving question. Um, two, piggybacking on the first question, do you see the Pac twelve team uh, Pac twelve team having the pieces in place to make a legit run in the national title next season? And has there been Recent teams that, for whatever reason, didn't make the playoff but would have been on the level with the top teams at the end of their respective seasons, SC last year and Stanford the year before it come to mind. Um, next, It's so hard to project how things are going to look yeah. next year. because, All right, so UCLA just hired Chip Kelly. If this is Chip Kelly from Oregon, he's going to take whatever random spare parts UCLA has, and they're going to be really good next year. Now, is that going to happen? Who knows? I mean, and maybe it takes more than a year, but that could happen. USC could be really good next year um, if Sam Darnold stays. And if he doesn't, it might be, you know, a question mark. Um, Washington should continue to be very good under Chris Peterson. Are they going to be good enough? Are they going to have, are they going to have, you know, a top eight quarterback in the Pac-12 next year versus a top 10? (laughs) We just don't know.
1: Oregon Um, Oregon could be really good next year.
0: They could be. They could be. They've got Justin Herbert back. They've got. A lot of key pieces back. Their defense, um, hopefully, if Jim Leavitt leaves, still sustains some of what they did this year. But even if he, but if he stays, definitely, probably, definitely, probably, uh, definitely will. Um, but right now, I would say uh, it's a firm maybe for me. I think it depends on what happens with Darnold. Um, if he's back next year, I like USC's chances of uh, repeating. Uh, potentially in the Pac-12, I think you know Chip Kelly and UCLA are obviously a wild card. ASU, obviously, as we just talked about, yeah. uh, has potential to be a nine-win team next year and be a spoiler, especially in the South. Um, I don't know. Where where do you stand on next year? Who do you think has a chance?
1: Uh, well, is okay. Is there a chance Rosen comes back, or is there not? Like I've heard rumors that potentially, or is that no?
0: I think it's a I think it's a firm no. Okay, but maybe.
1: I mean, I think having your quarterback back, and it's hard to win the Pac-12 without. Without that, so I would look if a Darnold comes back. I think USC is talented enough that they'll be in the mix. I think Washington uh, will certainly be in the mix. I mean, um, I mean Stanford again. Uh, you know, no Bryce Love, right? Or, you know, KJ is still. I guess, yeah, I think probably not
0: Bryce Love. Yeah,
1: I would guess. Um, you know, but they're always they're always in contention. You know, they don't have to go to Australia this year. I think so. I think that helps. Uh, I don't know about. Washington State, they're just kind of disappointed me a little bit. Um, but, you know, Oregon is like that fact that the team in the in the North that I think has that potential. If Willie Tiger was back, for sure. But, you know, we'll see what happens there. And then ASU in the South is going to be um, interesting to watch. Not, you know, I, if Herm Edwards is just a CEO and the the coordinator, so I thought they did a good job this year, kind of build on that. If they can build on 6-3 and three in the Pac-12, I mean, that's pretty freaking good, you know, um, mm-hmm. but – we'll see it's just it's hard to project right now but i think there'll be less roadblocks to knock the the best teams off you know let the best teams like play each other and knock each other off on equal terms and and not you know with one team off a bye and you know six days rest on the road all that kind of crap
0: yeah and then um the teams that that we're playing at Stanford in 2015 is always the one that comes to mind for me. Um, because that was the, I think that was the team that lost to Northwestern at the beginning of the year in that really weird game. And if they hadn't lost that game, that offense was spectacular by the end of the year, they had that really fun game against Notre Dame. Um, that's the team that I think they could have gone into the playoff and really wrecked some stuff. Um, and they were just a little bit away, I think in the rankings at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, if they'd beaten Northwestern, I think they would have been a shoe in for uh, the playoff, and you know that could have been a that's a big what if team for me. I think SC by the end of the year last year, especially against obviously in the Rose Bowl against Penn State, um, that offense was just playing spectacular football. I don't know if they rose to the level of Stanford in 2015 for me, but I thought SC was really good at the end of the year last year.
1: Yeah, I would say Stanford 2015 for sure. Just that early out of conference, and that was like a 9 a.m. game or something too. Like, oh, it was so bad. It it's was just brutal. another another like. Just self-inflicted wounds that you don't need to do. Like, an Alabama, Auburn's not doing that. Like, you you didn't need to do that. And so, that's that's the kind of stuff where, yeah, you should have won that game anyway. But it's hard to win all of these college football games. And if you put more, you stack the deck the deck a little bit more and more against you, you're going to lose some games, and it could be a really costly game. And that, you know, I think that one certainly was USC last year. They would have had to beat if they beat Utah and then they won their last like ten games. After start, you know, putting in Darnold and T- Darnold was like ten and zero instead of nine and one as a starter, uh, and they could have easily won that game at the end anyway. I, I think it would have been a different story and they, the storylines there. But yeah, they were playing awesome at the end of the year. Yeah, that's it. I think right.
0: There's there's one more question. Oh, we do at the end. Uh, oh, what me- are your, uh, from Zach. What are your biggest concerns and what are you most optimistic about for the LA schools going into the off season?
1: Oh, I'm sorry, it's the same point. Okay. Let's see. Biggest concerns and most optimistic. Uh, I guess I'll go first. So for USC, I think it's just um, they can't have like silly juniors go pro again. They've had that happen pretty much every year. Guys that aren't going to get drafted and shouldn't go pro, but they do. Um, if it's a, you know, a Juju Smith or a Dory Jackson, like, yeah, that's fine. You know, Ronald Jones is going to go. Sam Darnold, no argument if he goes. But there's other guys that are like probably shouldn't be going. And if they go, I think that will... Kind of hurt them a little bit, but the main thing I think USC needs to do is uh, kind of upgrade the coaching staff a little bit, get rid of a couple guys in key spots, bring in some other dudes. They, they hired one guy last year, and uh, I thought it was a home run hire, Dylan McCullough out of Indiana. Get a guy that has no USC ties. Just go get whatever position it is. Just go find a good one in the country and go bring him, You know, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Don't don't hire someone that you know and all that kind of stuff. So I think if Clay Hilton does that, they'll be okay for. For Chip Kelly and UCLA, I mean the big the 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 biggest hurdle is done. You got Chip Kelly in, and now you got to let him do his thing. So I don't have a whole lot of concerns with UCLA. Like I'm like Dave, like don't worry about some guys decommitting and all that kind of stuff. If it takes him a year or two to to get what he needs done, done. But you got the big fish. You got the the main hire that everyone wanted. Now you just got to kind of let him do his thing.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I think. uh i'll say it for you i think usc should be in the market for a new special teams coordinator i think that'd be a good thing for them um i think that was a concern this year i think it cost them some points i did a little study on ucla special (laughs) (laughs) i I did did a little study on ucla special teams and they were also bad um i think la uh the la schools in general could do a little bit better (laughs) on that key but forgotten often aspect of the football game um for UCLA, I think uh, Ryan hit it on his head, Chip Kelly. Uh, so you just kind of let it play out at this point. I think if you're if you're if you want to have something to worry about in the off season, I don't think you know when when Jim Mora was hired at UCLA, he took over a lot of talent from McNewisel, and I think Chip Kelly takes over even a little bit more talent. But at a few key spots, UCLA's is not very good, and I don't know if it's going to necessarily show up even under a new staff because you know some guys. You know, they'll they'll suddenly come to life under a new staff. I, I think at linebacker, uh, UCLA just kind of lacks really top-end talent. And on the offensive line, I think there are some smaller issues as well. Um, but uh, that's, you know, getting into the weeds of it. I think even with those issues, I think it's going to be probably a pretty good season next year and then potentially, you know, a really, really good season in 2019. Um, so that's, you know... I think I think both schools should be going pretty optimistically into the future at this point.
1: Yeah, I would think so. Um, you know what's crazy? How the hell did we go over two hours again?
0: We're never going to go under two hours. <laughs> we
1: had one game to preview.
0: One game to preview, and we uh, talked for forever about. We we talked to Chris Cartman. That feels like ages ago now.
1: Yeah, that was we, that was this we, show, right? We talked to him this yeah, show.
0: That that was this very show. We did the All pack 12 We argued about money for like thirty minutes, and uh, and now here we are. Here we are at the end.
1: So we know Dave doesn't like money. He's like money doesn't matter. I hate money, obviously. Although obviously. then you had this plea from the beginning that you were like, I moved out of L.A. because because of money, and then you're because like, because
0: I hate it. I hate <laughs> it so much, and there's so much of it in L.A. and I just had to get away. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, good stuff. But I thought it was, I thought it was a good show. Chris was great; he killed it. And uh, hopefully, that gives everyone a, a better perspective uh, on Herm, the Herminator. Uh, he he does know what the Sun Devils are. Uh, he doubt now knows that the fork is up and not down. Um, he knows about jerseys, big steps.
0: Big steps.
1: Yeah, you need to know about the jerseys. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder how many. Those are things that were like that they allowed to be, like, public? Like, how many, like, behind-the-scenes kind of things have happened? Like, someone made a comment, like, hey, Herm, they don't wear belts anymore, and stuff like Like, this stuff, like, <laughs> like there's got to be some things, like, really? Like, that's how that works? You know, like, there's got to be some of those.
0: Yeah, I mean, he hasn't coached in the college game in, like, 30 years. I mean, how was that recruiting test for him? <laughs> you know, I'm like, sure- the test they all have to take before they start recruiting? How was that?
1: So he must have passed it, right, because he's already – talking to guys. I would
0: assume so I would assume so. I don't know if they changed the rules on that thing, but I, I think would you have assume to pass it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it might not have been a first time. I mean, it might have, taken
0: a <laughs> yeah, it might have been like a driving test type deal where, yeah. you know, third
1: time's the charm, whatever. And I think so. Like the, like with the arguments I got with some dudes on Twitter where they're like, he's going to kill it and recruit. It. I'm like, dude, these kids don't know who he is. And, uh, I think Chris is like I kind of
0: heard bad reviews about him. Cause he used to, he did the, um, wasn't he at one of the all American games? Like, he, he's a guy who, like, would yeah. go and like, Counselor. I heard some, like, bad off-the-record reviews of him. Like really, when he was he running that? He was just kind of awkward to deal with and, like, that whole thing. So I don't – and, the, the, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't even be, like, saying that unsourced. But, like, I I, I didn't hear anything good from him about uh, – anything good about him from those, those All-American people. Uh, Practices that everyone keeps talking about is a reason why he's going to connect with the kids now. It's well, just,
1: you know, like Dion Sanders is one of the coaches down there, yeah. and like, yeah, it's fine. Like, he's, you know, he's a legend. Like, I don't think the players care, but if it's like a former coach, there's probably some level of coaching expectation. And if, if the reviews are bad, that's yeah,
2: probably all exactly. not that
1: good. I mean, if you're like a 16 year old kid and he walks into your door, you know, through the door, like mom and dad know who he is, and if the problem's going to be like, oh, yeah, I've seen you on a meme, like that's if that's like, how you and, know him.
0: <laughs> his memes I had to go look him up again because I forgot like because there's so many of these things that happen like these coaching tirades and I remembered like vaguely the you play to win the game thing but like I mean are moms and dads even really like remembering him that well like if I asked my mom and dad who's Herm Edwards they'd be like huh I
1: don't
0: know <laughs> and so like I don't know what their name recognition is there I mean I think among media types there's certainly some but like average family raising a kid playing football i mean how often is herm edwards entering your thoughts if you're in that position and you're and like if you're a 16 year old you were seven when he was last coaching like you don't remember anything you're not oh yeah i studied the jets or like the chiefs when you were when you were coaching there i really liked what you did when you ran the ball 400 plus time with larry johnson like nobody's gonna first nobody's gonna be excited about that stat and second like no, nobody was watching that. and Nobody, like, connected it to you. I and, mean, and now he talks on TV. I mean, a yeah. lot of guys talk on TV. It doesn't make them good recruiters.
1: Yeah. And if they, like, you know, oh, if they did watch Steve
0: Levy, he'd be a great recruiter. <laughs> People know him.
1: If Whatever. they, you know, if they did watch him on TV, they'd, you know, see that he had, like, what was it, 54 and 78 as, like, a head coach? Like, that was his overall yeah. record? Something I like mean, that. I he was a wrong. bad
0: coach. Bad Not good, bad. Now, some
1: people argued with me on Twitter. He did make the playoff like four out of eight years and stuff, and I was just like, yeah, and he was two and four or something in the playoffs. and I don't don't know. Everybody makes
0: the playoffs in the the NFL besides the Browns. Like, Like, everybody does at some point.
1: Yeah, it's like kind of an every other year thing. Like, oh, you make the playoffs this year, and that's that's what it was. Yeah,
0: it's the league of parity. I mean, there's there's one team that you can guarantee is going to be in every year, and that's the Patriots, and there's one team that's going to be out of it every year, and that's the Browns, and everyone else is in the middle
1: yeah i this think uh it's funny like he seems like you know a, a reasonably nice guy like there's part of me that's that is rooting for him even though i know i don't think there's a part of you that's rooting for him at all i'm guessing but part of me like that would be kind of interesting even though i predicted it would be a tremendous crash and burn i wouldn't mind being wrong if you know for some reason he did some like great humanitarian stuff and it was this awesome story like i wouldn't mind that but My gut just tells me.
0: I'm not rooting against him. I'm just. You are. Well, no, I'm. I'm, Well, yeah. Well, now that I've actually staked my claim to a point here. Yeah, I'm definitely rooting against him because I want to be right. But I'm not rooting against him from like a, you know, like I I hope this guy who I don't know at all does poorly. It's more just it, it. It's such a such a bad process hiring. Like the things that bother me generally are like the bad processes like. If you end up with a bad result, but you have a good, like, so just strictly in football terms, if like bad things happen, like you lose a game by three, but you manage the game really well, I'm going to be a lot more excited about that game than a game where you won by two touchdowns, but you should have won by seven and you played so poorly. And there were so many issues like the the clock management was terrible. Like, I'm going to be more upset about that one because it's it's the process and the process of hiring this guy was such a complete joke. And the process of rolling this guy out was such a complete joke that it's just it's it's hard to be in support of it in any real way. And I think, you know, Cartman's board is a good example of this. I think there's a lot of people who, you know, in the fandom section are just going to be like, all right, well, he's the guy now. So we're going to, you know, support him blindly. And then there's a lot of people who are, I think, maybe a little bit more process oriented, like I think you are and, and and I am where it's just like, yeah, but this guy, there's nothing speaking to this guy being good. Like nothing at this point speaking to this guy being good. And maybe he will be, but this was a horrible process to get him hired.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there, and I, that's kind of the part of the problem with our boards. And I'm I'm dealing with it at at USC now. Um, and it always happens is that you stick your claim. So we this, we said, hey, Herman is going to crash and burn, biggest train wreck ever. It's going to be awful. And so you kind of have to root for that, right? But I I think the problem with our message boards sometimes is. So when the pe- when like Clay Hilton was hired, there was dudes that are just like this is the worst because the process was bad. I mean it, it was the same thing. Like he's had pretty good results since he's been hired, but the process to hire him wasn't good. And these people stake the claim and then they'll just go over the top and be like they'll make these silly arguments to the point where it's like, Yeah, I get that he shouldn't have been hired, but he did win the pac twelve was eleven two. Like you have to at least acknowledge that. Like if there's some success, right. if Herman Edwards had some success, you're like, I think the way that the process was terrible, but and, and maybe the whole team came in and the, the staff was the same and he didn't do a whole lot. And the, the, you know, it was a young team that most people were coming back and all, you could argue all that stuff, but if he has great success, you're like, buddy, they, they did go 10 and two this year or something, whatever it is. Oh that,
0: yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And we'll be talking about it on here. Cause we're not here to root against Pac 12 teams. No. So, I mean, if, if it works out, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll certainly be talking about it, but at this point, I don't think they've set themselves up for success. <laughs> and maybe it works out, but, um, Yeah, I I think there were – basically what we're always saying on here, like in any of this stuff, is they could have improved their odds for success by making a better hire with a better process. Now, maybe it works out. Things can work out, but um, certainly I don't think Ray Anderson did a good job here.
1: No. yeah, If you're in Vegas and you got 19 and you're drunk and there's like a hot chick next to you and you're like, double down, uh, that's not a good process. That's not very smart. But a two if could I come. Work out. You could get that two? Who knows? <laughs> it's like it could. But yeah. Um you know, see Vegas comes back to money. All right. Well I guess we should
0: <laughs> Follow the money. We You'll find should. it at the end of our podcast. <laughs> All
1: right. Well I guess we should wrap it up. Uh David. Um good show.
0: That's it was great. It was wonderful. I laughed. I cried.
1: Yeah. Great. And it, you know. We're doing it this off season, man. People might not believe us, but we're going to keep it going. All right, so we'll keep going through signing day. After signing day, we're still going to do shows. Okay, so just let people know. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll figure out at a later date what those shows are going to involve, but we're going to do them.
1: Yeah, and get the, get ready to send those questions in. Tell us all the you know like all the stuff of ranking the worst this and best that and all that kind of stuff. We'll 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 take the whole off season talking about all that stuff. Hell yeah. All right, well, that's David Woods. Uh, I am Ryan Abraham, and you've been listening to the Podcast of Champions. If you're still listening, bless you. We give you kisses on both cheeks like they do in Europe. And uh, thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.